Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 730 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs> You're listening to the Superpod HeroCast, a Night Shift radio production. Hey everyone, it's Casey. Uh, before we start this episode, I wanted to point out that at one point we make light of the fact of Germany invading neighboring countries without provocation. I'm sure you can figure out where I'm going with this. This episode was recorded before the heinous and unethical attack of Russia on the Ukraine. And we just wanted to point out that that had that happened before this episode was recorded, obviously we would not be making light of it as much. We hope for a swift end to what's happening in the Ukraine with peace in our future. Hey, Todd, how does it feel to be the only non-mustachioed person on this podcast tonight? Well, how dare you? I am mustachioed. It's so gray, you can't see it. Oh, hello. Hello. And welcome to the Superpod HeroCast. Guys with beers talking about movies with capes. Episode 94. I'm Casey Ryan. And I'm Todd Panic. And we watched... The Rocketeer. <laughs> uh, guys and gals and non-binary pals, mm -hmm. you may recognize our friend Justin is back, uh, returning for a good movie this time. Yeah. <laughs> a very good, a, a very good movie. Okay, look. A, good, good is in the eye of the beholder. And no, no, I'm with you. This is a good movie. And we've, and we've beheld a whole we, a lot with Batman and Robin. Um, Oof. But so many Bat woof, woof, woof. Um But so many. It, was, it was very nice to behold a movie that had, like, structure and plot and, like, a clear intent. And also, you know, it, it's nice that we're not just going to spend the next however long we talk about this movie going, what the fuck was this about? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really nice when you watch a movie and somebody says... Oh, you watch that movie, what's it about? And you can, yeah, you can just be like, oh, it's about this. Instead of being like, okay, so um, Batman and his orphan boyfriend <laughs> work together with his butler's daughter to stop a drag queen and her luchador manservant from, and also Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> making every possible ice pun imaginable for oh over my. 90 minutes. 
I think uh, the only thing I would add to that is at the beginning. So Warner Brothers wanted to sell some toys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much so. <laughs> then go into yours. Yeah, yeah that's that's I mean, Jesus. Let's 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 spend let's spend the for the opening action sequence of this movie literally showing off every possible new toy we can have. Good God. <laughs> oh. But thankfully, well, so we are happy. not here to talk about. No. I, I, Go ahead. Oh no, I was so happy, Justin, to learn what your what your pick was because this is a movie that's been on my radar for you know twenty five years. Twenty? No, sorry, thirty years. Thirty uh, years. But yeah. I've never watched it, and not like uh, I didn't have a philosophical opposition. I just had just, never seen yeah. it. It's wild because it's it's the guy. Without this, we wouldn't have gotten Joe Johnson for Captain yeah, America. Yeah, like, li- literally, you can see. It's going to be interesting. I'm interested now for you to go back and rewatch the first Avenger because you can see mm-hmm. a lot of yeah. first Avenger of Rocketeer DNA in the first Avenger. Yeah, yeah. I think I think 100%. I think I think Cliff Secord is very much a proto Steve Rogers. He, he uh, is, yeah, yeah. You know, I was actually, he really is. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'll save it. But I, I'm I'm curious to talk about uh, Billy Campbell. Yes, mm-hmm. so. Uh, holy cow! I can't wait to I can't wait to get in and talk about this movie. So, <laughs> well, before we do anything else, since we are guys with beers talking about movies with capes, what are we drinking? So, uh, apologies. This was kind of a last minute purchase, so I didn't have time, Justin, to shoot you what we were drinking. But I'm ah. I'm confident you will have equipped yourself adequately for this evening. So I'll I'll share what we've got. Uh, no surprise. Hit up our favorite beer store, Branching Out Bottle Shop in Township 5 here in the greater Syracuse, New York area. Walked in. Uh, it was a busy scene yesterday, Saturday. Uh, yeah. But Joel and Chris are both working. Told them what I was looking for. And in 30 seconds, Joel had brought a beer up. He goes, is this a little too on the nose? I was like, nope, it's absolutely <laughs> perfect. So perfect. our brewery this evening is the Foam Brewers from Burlington, Vermont. They were founded in 2016 by an eclectic group of industry professionals with a shared appreciation for brewing, science, art, music, and culture. Same, brothers. Uh, If you would like to get to know more about the individuals behind the brewery, stop on by for a little foam. So we are drinking their double IPA titled Experimental Jet Set. Ah, (laughs) I mean, really. It's just perfect. Now, the glad that we're recording this virtually double ipa it's 9.2 percent alcohol by volume so fuck this is a good beer to not go anywhere with (laughs) it's a good beer to nurse that's right uh Um, justin do you want to share what you're drinking or yeah uh i'm actually uh, enjoying one of my personal favorite just kind of easygoing kickback beer uh beers uh it's the uh, anderson valley blood orange goza um, oh, yeah. It's really nice. It has good. it has that kind of a nice, you know, the salt water kind of like little little bit in there. But like the blood orange is like citrusy without being overly sweet. It's it's one that I I basically reach for anytime I can get it, and anytime I go anywhere and they have it on tap, I will get it because it's just really really refreshing. Uh, hmm. And again, also like not particularly high ABV, so you can you can enjoy <laughs> a few of them. And sure. not have to worry about doing much more than digitally recording a podcast. <laughs> nice. now, we like a, to call those crushable beers. Indeed. Now, is that a local brewery? Is that down? No, by it's 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 not okay. local. It's it, it's it's pretty nationwide. Uh, it's just one that I happen I happen to have on me and uh, that I enjoy. 
I'm gonna have nice. to. You know, give me that name yes. again. Yes, it's would. Uh, Anderson Valley uh, Blood Orange Goza. Okay. It's it's oh, really they have they have they have a few different Goza flavors. I think they also have uh, a like a briny melon. I think is the other one. Um, but it's the the Blood Orange is my personal favorite. All right. Okay. This has been our season of sour beers in general. Mm, We've yeah. had more sours this really season. Really has. Than, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, gentlemen. Oh, you you are way behind. Justin and I are gonna mm. just go right ahead. Yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> that's the stuff. Oh my! Wow, that's got a little kick to it. Nice little dipper. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that double IPA. Woohoo! <laughs> That's a that's a sipping beer. <laughs> well, Joel brought it over to me. He pointed out that it was high octane, and I said, "Okay, I only need two of those. Then that'll be just fine. No problem." <laughs> I, yeah, I was wondering when you when you brought it over. You're like, "Here's one." I'm like, "Oh, do they only have two? Now I see why. <laughs> we don't need more than one." <laughs> hey, uh, Casey, we have yes. a reshoot. Oh, we do. We do. Oh, oh, you've got one too. I've got one too. No, no, go ahead. Oh, okay. So no, I knew we had one. What's that? Maybe I thought. Go ahead. Oh, maybe. Okay. Shut up. Right. Shut up, Casey. Yeah, Casey. All right. So I was at uh, our Dungeons and Dragons session Friday night. Uh, the group that you heroically sacrificed yourself and, as a result, are no longer a member of. Uh, but true. our buddy Josh over in the group had just listened to Ant Man, and oh, okay. had a point. Uh, and I was careful to ask in a neutral way who he was correcting, and his words was that it was you. Uh, we made a reference to Hydra, and you referenced Hydra being Nazis. And I think I made the point that they were like a schism, but they weren't no. really Nazis. And Josh felt that that was a more accurate depiction. He would not term Hydra as Nazis. They were a splinter group and not actually Nazis. Sure. Okay. I mean, sure. I, we're 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 splitting hairs. I mean, in this movie, we've got Nazis. Yeah, we've got, yeah, we, got, actual, we, got, we got literal. We got literal actual. We got the. We got the, like the Nazis. We got. We're Nazis. gonna spend some time on the Nazis because yeah. I got some some thoughts and feelings about <laughs> some of the Nazi stuff that happens in this movie. Uh, but uh, kudos to Josh. Always appreciate sure, somebody I, willing to listen and share their perspective on our ramblings. I guess during during. Captain America, the first Avenger, because of Joe Johnston, Nazis show up to talk to Schmidt. So I'm like, oh, he reports to Nazis. He's a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the only reason I call I called well, what's his face a Nazi sympathizer. I know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I made a joke about Nazi sympathizer. Yes. Can, yeah. They're right. they're all pieces of shit. I mean, agree. Agree. <laughs> We, fictional Hydra or real Nazis can all go fuck themselves. Yeah. We're not. We're not. We're not. We're not. We're not. We're not defending the honor of the the fictional the fictional Nazi partners. We're by all 45. means. <coughs> Sorry. Oh, 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 oh. Got a little something in your throat. Yeah. 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 yeah insurrection. Sorry. Uh, okay. Did, oh God. I hate when I get an insurrection oh, stuck in my throat. That's the worst. Uh, Casey, did you have one as well, or no? No, oh, okay. I thought we did have another one, but. Uh, I guess we're doing pretty good this year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, pr- so this is, uh, you know, I love when we do movies that are not from the big two, Marvel and DC, right? I- yep. Obviously, we love those 
properties. But I, I love the opportunity to kind of shine a lens uh, or shine a light on some of the lesser known areas. Justin, do you want to share whatever you've got? I've got stuff we can fill in. And but Justin, as our guest, you know your take on the Rocketeer as a character, the you know the mythos and all that. Uh, I mean, I this. Looking back, I think this honestly would have been, like, the first, like, comic book movie I saw as a kid. Um, like, probably on VHS. Uh, <laughs> and, sure. like, I, again, like, it, it definitely, like, makes an impact because it's just, like, again, like, from, like, the Art Deco design of his costume, it's, it's, mm. it's very, it's very, like, great in that like especially like when you you know when you get into like yeah the later years from the stuff of the big two where it's you know it, it, it is like what what shades of spandex are we looking at this week um the 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 nice thing about the rocketeer is that he just has like it's a very simple and like it's it's one of those like simple put together costumes that organically feels like it makes sense to just have like it's 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 just his flight jacket and his boots and his gloves, and then, you know, the titular rocket pack and a helmet that was carved out of an old radio. Uh, it's it's really, <laughs> like, with with a huge wing on its head to help steer, which is like, which I also love because it's, like, I, I love it. I love, I love a good costume that has an aesthetic choice that also helps with the, like, function in addition to the form because, yep. like, yeah. it definitely looks cool. But also, like, it makes sense. It's like, yeah, obviously, if you're, if you're essentially turning yourself into a missile, like, you're going to want, like, a tail fin to help, like, you know, navigate the air. And it's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think there there is something just kind of, like, purely, like, Americana about the Rocketeer. It's, it's, it's I, I feel the same way about the Rocketeer as I feel about Captain America, which makes sense um, mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. Um you know they they have they have a lot of similar a lot of things in common, um, but it, it's just like it, it's just kind of like that nice thing of it's like you know like you have your like we were sort of talking about a little you know before we start recording you have stuff like the shadow and like these other pulp heroes that always have like that like mystery man like they have like a special serum that they take or like they have you know a gem a, a mysterious gemstone they got from the forbidden east that you know lets them channel some kind of like spinny and then you have like my personal favorite which is like these kind of pulp these like two-fisted pulp heroes that are just like yeah he has like a gizmo but he's really just a guy who is just like i'm going to use this to punch nazis um literally like literally very much literally, literally. um and it's just like I I want to do this because like I I'm not trying to like necessarily be a hero but like the people that I care about are in danger and like it's the right thing to do to use these you know it, it's it's sort of you know an off an offering branch of of the you know with great power there must also come great responsibility kind of thing but it's not mm-hmm. even like I've been given these powers I should do this is good because it literally for the for a lot of this is like how can we make money with this and then it eventually evolves into like I'm going to do this to help save my girlfriend and like that's like kind of like basically what it kind of boils down to but it's mm-hmm. i just i just i just like it, it's just kind of like very straightforward just, there aren't like too much frills about it and it's not like you don't have to worry about like a lot of the science behind it other than just the fact that you know like the jetpack which they kind of sort of explain away as like why he doesn't constantly catch on fire when everything else around him does uh anytime <laughs> right. he lifts off um, but no, I, I love I love this movie and I love the Rocketeer as a character. Yeah, 
th- that's great. I, I I couldn't agree more. You know, you were you got me thinking. It's almost like, well, it is the simpler time of what a superhero was, and it's unlike the multifaceted, multi-powered comics of to, you know heroes of today. It's literally one thing, right? Like it's it's that literal one thing. Um, so let me fill in some more additional background here, because again, this is a character that I'm guessing lots of our listeners don't know doesn't they don't know the lineage of. So this movie comes out in '91, uh, and the character is only only appeared nine years prior to that. So uh, yeah. it was um, originally published by Pacific Comics. Talk about Pacific Comics in a minute. He was created by writer-artist Dave Stevens. Um, character first appears in 82 and is really an homage to the Saturday matinee serial heroes from the 30s through the 50s. So exactly in that sweet spot. Um so you mentioned the the, the jetpack. His adventures are set in Los Angeles and New York in 1938. And Stevens, and I'm quoting from the Wikipedia page, Stevens gave them a retro nostalgic feel influenced by the King of the Rocketmen and Commander Cody movie serials, both of which were from Republic Pictures, as well as pinup diva Betty Page. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Now, the Pacific Comics is interesting. Casey and I, we've talked a little bit about the alternatives to the big the big two publishers. And again, Pacific is absolutely worth giving a little airtime to. And again, I'm I pulled this right off the Wikipedia page because it was so uh, informative, I wanted to get it all right. So, Pacific Count uh, Comics was founded by the Shane's brothers. Now, they um, uh, established themselves in the early 80s. They uh, had a comic shop and had this idea essentially, you know, create their own line of comics to sell as well. Um, they approached Jack Kirby and one of the Shane's hmm. brothers, Steve Shane's recalled, quote, I figured if you want to get people's attention with a new comic book, who better to do it with than the king of comics, Jack Kirby? We were already friends with Jack. We used to send him free copies of comics he'd drawn for other publishers because they never sent him any. So I just went ahead and called oh. him on the phone, and he turned out to be a nice guy, completely accessible. We negotiated a whole detailed publishing deal between the two of us. No middlemen. The Shanes asked Kirby, who had effectively quit comics in 1978, for only the publishing rights, and they assured him that he could keep the full ownership and copyrights, and they would even help him license the characters for use overseas or in other media. Hmm. And as a result, Pacific claims to have become the first company to pay royalty payments to Kirby. That's noteworthy in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Holy yeah, I would, I would say yeah. so. Jesus. And, and how crazy that it takes until the 80s, like... Or the, the yeah you know, the eights the you know yeah seventies eighties for that to happen. Um, now Kirby provided Pacific with Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers, which was published bi-monthly from August of nineteen eighty one. And though the Shanes anticipated sales of less than twenty five thousand, the first issue sold a hundred and ten thousand copies. <laughs> Kirby then let Pacific publish his Silver Star, and the brothers decided to start a line of full color mainstream comic books. Um, and writer J. Allen Sanford has stated that Pacific formed the template for Image Comics. Image, I was of course, say. today is the third largest publisher after the big two. Yeah. So, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't know that history of Pacific. I was vaguely aware of them. Um, yeah. They published Same. the Elric comics. I'm a big mm. fantasy guy, and I had the Elric uh, graphic novels. But, uh, 
when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah. But I didn't realize the place in comic history that Pacific deserves. And I thought yeah, that was wow. really cool. Yeah. Well, the tens of listeners to our podcast <laughs> now know it. <laughs> uh, all right. So stepping back into some of the pr- typical production stuff, we'll go through the writers first. Um, so three gentlemen share the story credits for the movie. Danny Bilson, Paul DeMeo, and William Deere. Um, Bilson and DeMeo both have a number of writing credits, a lot of video games, a lot of TV, including The Flash. Um, they work hmm. together on. Um, William Deere is a... I'm sorry, the the John Wesley ship Flash, correct? Oh, uh, yeah, 90... Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 1990 okay. to Not 91. Grant, not yeah. Grant Gustin, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, William Deere is a writer, director, um, probably best known for Harry and the Hendersons. <sighs> yeah. So certainly not anyone who, you know, is like a marquee name. The big name here, of course, is Joe Johnston. And, mm-hmm. you know, 30 seconds into the movie, I'm like, okay, I see why, as they were preparing for the first Avenger, I see why Joe Johnston got that job. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't want to watch a superhero movie set in this era <laughs> that Joe Johnston isn't directing. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I almost, I almost feel, <laughs> I almost feel bad. Like, is he, is he pigeonholed into this, but he is so good. The look and feel of this movie is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And to your point, you can absolutely see that direct uh, lineage right to Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, the only thing I would say about is he pigeonholed. I mean, he did do Jurassic Park three. Yeah. So you know, he's not he's not just you know sure superhero thirty thirty superheroes. He can also do dinosaurs to an extent. Yep. Uh, <laughs> he did Jumanji the first. He I sure did. Jumanji, yeah. The Wolfman. And October Sky. October uh, Sky. Honey, I Shrunk the yeah. Kids. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that one. Okay. Yeah, that was his first. Uh, uh, handpicked by Steven Spielberg, I believe. No kidding. Because that is an, a, I believe that's emblem mm-hmm. in there. You know something or something something that that he did. Stephen handpicked Joe Johnston to uh, to direct, and you see it. Like Joe's got a very Spielberg feel to how he makes his movies. It's mm-hmm. funny you say that because I would suggest that The Rocketeer feels very much like a Spielberg produced movie. What's the complaint sure. always? Yeah, it's always. it shares that yeah. kind of a feel. I thought, like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh, Casey, you got any casting notes for us? You know I do. I know you do. <laughs> and you know they're interesting. They always are. Uh, for the part of Eddie Valentine, um, Joe Pesci turned down the role. Wow. That would have been very different. That would have been wow. very different. <laughs> than wow. Paul Sorvino. A lot like, more aggressive. I, I like. I love I love Paul Sorvino. Like, I feel like he has like just the right amount of like... Gravitas, well, like, Paul Servino is one of those actors who is, like, he's a character actor who will happily take the check and, like, <laughs> commit. And, like, commit to the thing. Because, like, oh, yeah. thinking of, like, thinking of like, like, you know, one of his last roles in Repo the Genetic Opera, he's great in it because he's sincere. Oh, yeah. he, he's, like, he's, like, you know, he, he approaches it the same way where he's, like, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be, like, I'm going to treat this like I would anything else. Yeah, I'm going to treat it all like I'm doing Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Like, 100% commit, yeah. I 100% agree with that. Uh, for the part of uh, good old PVP body, <laughs> Lloyd Bridges turned down that part again. Uh, interesting. Would have been interesting. Yeah. Uh, for Neville Sinclair, <laughs> J. 
Jeremy Irons. Oh. Okay. And Charles Dance. Wow. Interesting. Wow. They what were a, both considered. Yeah. Jeremy Irons, man. Jeremy Irons is Neville Sinclair. I think I feel like I feel like the issue is like Timothy Dalton is that perfect. He understands mm-hmm. like the camp of it and like can be like the smirking villain. I feel like both Jeremy Irons and Charles Dance are like would have made like a very dire Neville Sinclair, like very terrifying yeah. Neville Sinclair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like you would have, you would have, you would have known immediately. Uh, also, I feel like you would have tipped the, like, like, oh, that's Jeremy Irons. That's the bad guy. <laughs> and also, that's Jeremy Irons. He's probably not. He's probably a Nazi. <laughs> you know, it's 1938. <laughs> I, I just googled. So, love Charles Dance, of course, but mm-hmm. I can only picture him as you know modern, you know. Era mm-hmm. Tywin Lannister, Charles Dance. So I just Googled Charles Dance ninety one. Oh, uh the last last action hero? Uh yeah, 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 yeah. And and I and probably a few even a few years even before that. But I I can see that in the younger one. I, I totally see how that could have worked. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh for Jenny Blake, first of all, uh except for one of these names, get out of here because it's the the wonderful um oh no her name just left my brain jennifer Connolly. thank you mm-hmm. sorry jennifer i still love you uh sherilyn fenn i don't know sherilyn fenn oh, oh okay that's why that's why yeah yep. uh kelly preston mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. diane lane hello diane <laughs> uh elizabeth mcgovern there's another one i didn't recognize hmm. and Pen- penelope ann miller because it was the early 90s. Yeah. Well, she got shadow, so she's okay. There you go. You see? Yeah, she sure did. <laughs> uh, oh, and then Elizabeth McGovern. So, Casey, you haven't watched Legends of the Fall yet, right? <laughs> That's probably okay. Yeah. But she is. Uh, wait, is that. Am I getting this wrong? Is she the one who's who loves Brad Pitt? Oh, I, I mean, might who be, I might love be Brad misremembering Pitt. that. Uh, okay, that's not her. She kind of looks like her. All right. All right, and and I saved the best for last for for Cliff. Mm. <clears throat> Michael Keaton. Okay. Alec Baldwin. Again, you got don't feel you got bad. The sh- you get the shadow. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Robin Williams. <sighs> stop. Just stop. I love Robin Williams, but stop no, trying to put him in yeah. comic book movies. And I I just feel like he was called in again mm-hmm. to like sweeten the deal for somebody mm-hmm. else. Huh. Uh, this would have been uh, funny now that we know what we know about him. Mel Gibson. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, would have would have made would have made rewatching this one a lot tougher. <laughs> mm-hmm. Harrison Ford. Now, I'm thinking they were like, "Hey, we should get Harrison Ford." And they called his agent, and his agent just went. <laughs> <laughs> Click. Yeah, yeah. I can't Such a wicked comic book movie. Also, again, like, he like he would have. I think he would have been a bit older than like the Cliff because like generally like again like I feel like Cliff is like supposed to be between like twenty five and like maybe early thirties. I, I it was like the read I kind of got. Sure. Because like he's supposed to kind of yes. be like you know this kind of like a, like a, a lovable almost like. Schlub of sorts of like a guy who's like I'm gonna be a pilot like that's like and that feeling of like I'm not yeah. really going anywhere and Harrison Ford has never given off that vibe once in his entire life so it would have been very hard to believe that it's like oh yeah I'm just stuck here being a pilot it's like no yeah we, we know but also like 
<laughs> and also the age difference between yeah, him and Jennifer Connelly would have been, would have been mm. super creepy. Mm. Because Jennifer Connelly's only like 23. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, re- you know. And, but looks uh, like 18. Uh, again, as a self-admitted pervert, <laughs> I object to the objectification of her in this movie. Like, the boob jokes are unnecessary. Oh, yeah. They don't add uh, anything to it. The, the camera lingers on them at one. I think when uh, W.C. Fields meets her in the dinner club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. not necessary. I was like, Ugh. Nope. I will also point out uh, something that I, I looked up because I was curious. I was also going through IMDb, and I do find it very funny uh, that the actor who plays W.C. Fields in this movie only has two IMDb credits. It's W. It, it's W.C. Fields and the Rocketeer, and it's W.C. Fields in an episode of Webster. <laughs> That's so. He's just a W.C. He's just a, he's Fields just a W.C. Fields impersonator, which is such a very specific niche, especially for 1991, yeah, um, where like most people like might recognize the like what he's doing from like old Looney Tunes episodes, and that's basically sure. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Looney Tunes definitely bridges the the gap to mm-hmm. to make it easier for <laughs> younger generations. Get me uh, our best WC Fields guy. <laughs> so two more. <laughs> one I just uh, no, and the other one absolutely not. Uh, one, Ron Perlman, absolutely not. No, doesn't doesn't work for the See, leading here's, man. Here's a, Sorry, here's what say. Cliff. If as Cliff. Ron Perlman as Lothar, maybe get him some lifts. Uh, yeah, sure. And like, <laughs> put it. I mean, you know, less makeup. This is this is, this is, this is nineteen ninety one. He like like yeah. This is all, sure. all he was doing at the time was was showing up and, and being put in prosthetics. So like this would have been like sure. I think a, a good a decent one for him. But like I love Lothar. Had, but like, had Beauty and the Beast happened yet? I think it was a. I feel like that it was had. an eighties thing, but, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was like an eighty eight or eighty nine that Beauty and the Beast. So I'm debuted, thinking that's so, why he yeah, was been, because yeah, yeah not as, my dear sweet mother found him <laughs> very attractive as Vincent, and then so I'm without the makeup and was like, oh, oh no, wait. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see his quote the other day? Mm. Uh, they no. asked him oh, about that he wants to make another Hellboy. Yeah, and he said, "Do I want to make another Hellboy? Uh, hell no, I'm 71. Yeah, but the fans deserve it. It was something like that. I was like, mm-hmm. fuck yeah, that's why Come he's on. my Hellboy. Come on, that's one right. more." One more, come one on! More. You got it in you. Come on. Listen, if if Willem Dafoe can come back for No Way exactly. Home, exactly twenty oh. years now holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest time playing a comic book villain. Mm-hmm. No kidding, mm-hmm. that's impressive. Twenty years, mm-hmm. nineteen years, eighteen months. They, right. I saw wow. the numbers. Like, good for you, buddy. That's, that's awesome. That's amazing. And <laughs> lastly. <laughs> oh, uh, everyone's favorite American dad, uh, Tom Hanks, was. Uh, Mm. Wow. I, again, like, I, I love Tom Hanks. I love me some Tom Hanks. Action yeah. hero has never, ever, ever. Joe, Vos- Joe versus the Volcano is the closest he has ever come to trying to, like, bridge yeah. that gap. And it just, even that is just, like, he's 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 not a man of action. I don't think man of action yeah. Tom Hanks. He, you know, no. he, he was bri- obviously brilliant in Apollo 13, but he's not... He's not an he's not an action, a man of action. There, he's a commander. Mm-hmm. Right? You can see him commanding the respective men, but not in doing anything that requires that. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. boy. That, that's a those, weird. That's some the, the cliff ones are the wildest that's ones. So on like bonkers. The, the other ones, you're like yeah, okay, yeah, sure. And maybe I mean, you can, you can that, like that kind of squint and you see it, but like wolf, Robin Williams, Robin Williams. <laughs> so now let's say this. We'll, we'll say this right off the back. 
this movie is full of that guy and specifically one in particular, that gal, mm-hmm. actors and actresses. Um, very much look forward to pointing those out as we go through because mm-hmm. phenomenal casting. There are three Star Trek actors yep, in this movie. There sure are. Okay. I, it's, I <laughs> tiny, don't tiny have a Ron. Clue, so I look forward to. Tiny Ron, yeah. He's one of them. The, uh, Lamont is. Lothar. Lothar. <laughs> Our, Lamont, Lamont was, was the last yeah. shadow. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Lamont. Lamar. Yeah. Okay. Look, I, I will. I will uh, say, I absolutely had had Rocketeer Shadow and Phantom come out ten years later. There would have been talks of a crossover. There would have been an inevitable inevitable of, yeah. the, of the thing. The, the the one that I am the one that I am saddest about, uh, personally speaking, is the twenty. What was it like twenty two thousand maybe nine maybe twenty ten. Uh, the spirit movie because yeah. never seen. I it. love I Same. love the character. It's it's a great the Will Eisner stuff and like even like the later stuff that came out with like Darwin Cook's art and like the like new adventure mm. stuff they did with like Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore writing stories for it. It's just it's a really interesting a really cool little pulp character and I think it suffered from just using the exact same aesthetic as Sin City because it's like he's too brightly colored. I recently found out there was a 1987 Spirit movie, like a made-for-TV Spirit movie. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's <gasps> live action. That looks exactly like it would have fit in with this like triumvirate. And you know who is the spirit in that? Flash. Ah, uh, oh. Sam Jones. Oh my gosh. I'm I might have to go find that. I was that. excited until then. Oh, how dare you. He looks he looks great. He looks exactly like he does in the comics. This is one of the ones where there's like we're just going to put him in exactly what he wears in the comics, but like the shooting of it is going to make it look like it's very modern day and it's going to look very weird. <laughs> oh god. No. But it's yeah. it's okay. it's it's I like it better than it's the same reason why like I love the what the Robert Altman not Robert Altman um the Fantastic Four movie that was made in the, in the nineties Robert Corman yeah. Robert Corman Corman, the Corman Roger Corman yeah, Roger, Roger Corman one yeah. um I I personally mm-hmm. still think that is my favorite Fantastic Four movie because of its unwillingness to not do stuff from the comics and not be afraid of any kind of goofy dialogue or anything it just it feels like a Fantastic Four movie and like. To varying extents, the later ones do. Um, oh God! Well, I mean, we have to include the Incredibles in there. Oh, that's true. It's that's fair. The best totally Fantastic fair. Four movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but 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 the best Fantastic Four movie named Fantastic Four is the Roger Corman yeah. one, one hundred and ten percent. Until the, the the MCU one comes out with, hopefully Krasinski. Yeah. Oh. Right. Oh. Your lips to God's ears. Mm-hmm. All right. God. Uh, you got any more? The fan base is going to be so disappointed. No, I don't. But they're going to be so disappointed <laughs> if it's not. You like, if Feige hasn't made that deal, he's got to be like sitting there going, "Oh my god, they're going to hate whoever else they choose." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. Uh, but also, like John could bring that to the table. Be like, "Have you looked at the internet?" <laughs> uh, all right. So our final, uh, final um, little bit of. Uh, Info here we typically talk about, of course, is the money because that's how these movies get made. So mm-hmm. this has a budget of thirty-five to forty million dollars. Does mm-hmm. a uh, box office take in the U.S. of about forty-seven million? It is a uh, commercial disappointment. Um, 
you know, I did not do was do our typical nineteen ninety one dollars to twenty twenty two. The conversion factor there is it's about double, so one point oh five. So seventy to eighty million dollar budget, and it does ninety million. So yeah, still still a still a flop. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so interesting. As much as we love World War Two era war movies, it is been hard for those for that you know world war ii era superhero movie they have just not landed i mean it's i wonder why that is when we we love that era in this one view and i don't know if it's you know the 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 war deserves respect and i think i think that you you nailed it i think that's why i don't think people like history being you know rewritten for the sake of uh Superheroes. Yeah. But but I think I think that's why like the the thing that the Rocketeer does so great with it is that it's it's not necessarily it's not a World War II superhero movie. It is just a mm-hmm. superhero movie that takes place during the same time as World War II in America and does deal with Nazis. Um and so like <laughs> it 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 makes it it's not like it's not too much of a bend on like history. To be like, oh yeah, there's sure. a secret, you know, the secret Nazi program that was trying to replicate this Howard Hughes design rocket pack in order to make like a whole legion of, you know, rocket soldiers, and we got to stop this one Hollywood double agent who is working with them. Yep. Yeah. Hundred uh, percent. Uh, last thing, and of course, we'll we'll say what the IMD. B rating is now, and then we'll save our score for the end. Uh, but do either of you, um, do you know, or do you want to take a guess at the IMDb rating for this movie? I would I would guess earnestly that this movie has like a 6 out of 10. Casey? I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to think about 7. I think a lot of people have looked back on this movie and be like, it's not that bad, but there's still all the bad reviews mm-hmm. of it. Well, if we average year two, it is a 6.5 out of oh, 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. So <laughs> you guys we did are a great it. team. <laughs> <laughs> With our powers yeah. combined. When you average it out. That's right. Uh, what do we win? All right. Uh, sadly, nothing. Actually, we get to talk about this movie. That's what right, we win. All right. I'll we take win. it. All right. So let's uh, roll that film. I want to start with music yeah. and I'll I'll yeah. throw it in here cuz you can talk about it anywhere the wonderful James Horner is the composer for this music he sure. essentially wrote the soundtracks to every movie we love from this era um <laughs> and yeah. he really captures that feel like it's that epic feel that tells me the era of superhero movie I'm in which again like reminded me of the first avenger i mean i love mm-hmm. so clearly joe johnston's you know, impact on that and music setting the tone and that being really solid, clearly mm-hmm. uh, worth mentioning, in my opinion. I 100% agree. And the weird thing is you get, like, little glimpses of the thing he'll win the Oscar for in five years. Titanic. Mm-hmm. Especially yep. when Jenny and Cliff are together. I, I just, you know, I'll never let go, Jack. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. what it felt like the whole time. Yeah, so wins the Oscar for Best Original Dramatic Score and Best Original Song for Titanic. Mm-hmm. Nominated for Oscars for Best Original Score of Aliens, Best Original Score of Field of Dreams, Best Original Song, Somewhere Out There from mm-hmm. American Tale, mm-hmm. Best Original Dramatic Score for Apollo 13, Braveheart, oh, wow, A Beautiful Mind, Avatar. Uh, yeah, I mean, just glory, Best Original yeah. Score. 
uh, for a Golden Globe, he gets nominated for it. The guy just Legends of the Fall that we just talked about. <laughs> I mean, he's in the same camp as John Williams. Yeah, like, hundred yeah. percent. I, I think it's it's that thing where it's like if you need like big bombastic orchestral music, you go for for Williams. You go if when you're showing a Star Destroyer, when you're showing a dinosaur, you you go for for John Williams. When you when you're trying mm-hmm. to focus on like. The singular, like inspiring human story, you go Horner because, like, yeah, like, like you're saying, like, like Field of Dreams, like, I, I Field of Dreams immediately went, oh yeah, that 100 percent makes sense because, like, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. hearing those like opening strains of like the main Rocketeer theme that you hear throughout, and that gets like very interestingly like subverted. There's like the like minor version of the theme when something ominous <laughs> is going on related to the rocket pack, or like the like inquisitive yeah. one when uh, Jenny is like looking through Neville Sinclair's like bookshelf. It's like I love I love those little like slight variations on the theme to show like oh this is what's going on right now. I think uh, I put uh, Michael Giacchino in that. Mm-hmm. In oh that sure, camp too. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, yeah. guys just making such a name for himself right now. The very best of music establishing that tone that is going to show up through the whole movie. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yep. So we have a, a GB a uh, plane that I would never want to get in. That <laughs> doesn't look. <laughs> safe at all uh we have cliff he's gonna take a his uh test flight with it he sticks a piece of gum to the back of the uh tail rudder and uh right before he takes off oh uh pv takes it off and i blame everything that happens after that and this movie on pv <laughs> taking that gum off he uh, created the butterfly effect yeah pv the phenomenal alan arkin of uh, course right just alan arkin be an alan arkin and speaking yeah. <laughs> in thirty slang is really great. Just him yelling at Cliff and calling him a chowderhead is really it's one of those things where it's like it doesn't it this does not feel like it's a period piece. It feels like something Alan Arkin would have said at some like in earnest yeah. at any point in his life. I did extra work for a very short-lived show called 100 Center Street, mm. where Alan Arkin was on it, and we did a jazz club. There, I guess they went to this. I never watched the show. Uh, they went to this <laughs> jazz club, and I was seated not right behind Alan Arkin, but the table behind that. Mm-hmm. And at one point, they paused to reset something, and Alan Arkin starts complaining about the lights, exactly how you would think Alan Arkin would complain about the lights. And you're just like, oh, so you? this is just you. He's like, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do these lights have to be like this? I mean, they seem very hot on me. I was like, oh, my God. This is just you. I love it. You know, I've got a little bit of headcanon here, um, and it's going to require oh. that we don't do the math on sure. the years. Sure. But in my mind... You know, the events of the Rocketeer were so stressful for PV that he leaves aeronautics entirely behind. He wants to work with people. He goes back to school. He becomes a psychiatrist. And he ends up with a little tiny practice um, and unfortunately takes Martin Blank as a client. (laughs) You cannot be disappointed with anything Alan Arkin is doing. I mean... He's just delightful. Don't kill anybody for a few days. See what it feels like. Uh, give it a shot. No, no, don't give it a shot. Don't shoot anything. Uh, it's this wonderful era, too. It's um, So Cliff Secord, Billy Campbell, the Rocketeer. So this opens in 1938. Too young to have fought in World War One, And in fact, one of the crew of the, of the airstrip that, you know, is the center of the action was a World War One pilot. And we see how old he is. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you mean Lane Smith? Malcolm. Yes. 
Yes. Pac Kent from Lois and Clark. Yes. Who claims to have been in an air duel with the Red Baron. Shot down by, shot <laughs> shot down down by, down the, by Red the Red Baron. Baron yeah. TSPHC Army, this is the beginning of, holy shit, look at all the people <laughs> who are in this movie. <laughs> it's this wonderful era, like really the birth of aviation, right? Like the mm-hmm. you know aviation used in World War One. You've got these pilots that come back. It's not the Wild West. It's not anything goes, but it's only a few steps away from anything goes. So... This is all taking place at Bigelow Aeronautical Corp., which is essentially a dirt airstrip in California. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know if you guys saw, what was it, two years ago, the phenomenal Perry Mason on HBO? Yeah. No. Worth watching. Real really good. good. It, but it's in that mm-hmm. same era, and, it, and he's living adjacent to this kind of dirt airstrip in, you know, the... Outside Los Angeles and California in that era, but just a really fascinating time and this idea where this new technology and, you know, that uh, I can't imagine that the FAA uh, was created. No, I don't think I don't think they would have been around yet, because, again, like we do at one point briefly see like a commercial flight. Uh, when the Rocketeer zooms by yes. and like gives the salute before yeah. falling out of the sky, but even that you have to like you're looking at it. It's like I would not call this like by any means like a, a, a regular occurrence that is happening. Yeah, so it's 20 years later. So the FAA is established in 1958. Wow. Uh, Jesus. So this is 20 years before that. So imagine this technology, and it's essentially oh, you can fly, get in, you fly. Oh, you have a piece of dirt there, you can take off. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, uh, PV has built the GB and built it for the purpose of winning this national air race, which those were a thing, right? Like, right? Just, Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a fascinating time to set the story in. I love it. To your point, the flight of the GB, the, the plane does not go well. Well, well it, not, it, not to it, the fight of the plane. The plane, the plane would have been fine. That's true. If it weren't mm-hmm. for the getting caught in the crossfire between the G-men and Eddie Valentine's boys. Yes. Yeah. No, not even the crossfire. Like the guy Literal in the back fire. Literal stopped firing fire. at the yeah. feds, and he's like, "I'm going to shoot, shoot this plane." <laughs> Dick, move, man. <laughs> you know, it was also a rather reckless move. Like nowadays, we get upset when you hear reports of like somebody flew a drone over somebody's backyard. Uh huh. So. You know, to be fair, Cliff, it's kind of a dick move. He's flying, can't be more than 100 feet above these cars that are in this, you know, gunfire shootout chase. Yeah, he gets And he curious. overflies them directly, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like an incident. He overflies them. So yeah. I kind of blame Cliff. He got nosy and poked his nose <laughs> for didn't belong. Nosy. And uh, he got shot out of the sky because of it. That's right. You could say he fucked around and found, found out. out. He did indeed. <laughs> So speaking of the two mobsters, yes. um, the driver of the car is Quark's brother, Rom, from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. <laughs> so that's Wilmer was the yeah, character name? Wilmer, okay. Max Groening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was also in uh, Captain's Holiday, the one where Picard goes to Risa. He uh, is the Ferengi there, too. He's one of those ones that played Ferengi a bunch of times, and then they're like, we'll just make you a recurring Ferengi now. <laughs> Wait, poor guy's got a face to be a Ferengi. <laughs> Max Grodenchik? That's what Grodenchik. Oh, Grodenchik. Okay, yes, okay, yes. Okay, sorry. Okay. I always get the den part. I always say Grochik. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. It's Grodenchik. You're right. The two FBI guys are both that guy actors. Uh-huh. 100%. And usually play these kind of characters. Very much so. Like, the taller FBI guy, I can't think of a movie where he's not a slimy dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. He is a guy who, as we see in the movie... We made a living with that plane. Well, maybe it's time to get a real job. 
a very punchable face. Yeah. Oh, 100%. He totally does. He, he does. totally does. He does. He lives up to his name. Yeah. yeah. So the character just... Fitch is played by Ed Lauter. He's got 209 actor credits on IMDb. Obviously, movie, TVs. If you've seen something, you've probably seen him in it. Uh, mm-hmm. The other guy, I would suggest probably a little lesser known, but also very much in that cop FBI space. Um, the character Wooly is played by James Handy. I know him from he's a scumbag Haverhill from NYPD Blue. He's a douchey police commander that Sipowitz butts heads with. So Sipowitz butts heads with somebody. I know, shocker, right? <laughs> what? But you look at these guys. It's like the cops in The Fugitive. You know those guys who play the Chicago. Mm-hmm. You see those guys on screen. You're like, okay, yeah, they're the feds. They're clearly the feds. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they are chasing uh, Eddie Valentine's crew. We see in the in the lead car, the car being chased. There's a wooden case that says "for authorized personnel only." Uh, the chase ensues. There's a crash of the cop car. He's shot the GB. The gangster manages to make his way into one of the hangars at. Bigelow's pulls the case out. His buddy's been shot by the FBI agents, and he does shot the and old, killed. Mm-hmm. Shot and killed. Yeah, he's dead. And he does the old switcheroo for an old. I'm assuming that's a Hoover, but I could be yeah. wrong on that. Like the old canister vacuum cleaner jumps back into the car and races out again. The GB crashes. Wilmer's hurt. You know, Bill uh, Cliff barely escapes. You know, runs back to the plane to grab the picture of his sweetie. Mm-hmm. The amazing Jennifer Connelly um, mm-hmm. before the uh, the fire. FBI show up, take control of the scene. Of course, they're very keen on finding what happened to this case, right? It's not in the, the car, obviously, and that's what they're focused on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, not, not, not getting any kind of, uh, not repaying any of the damages that they, yeah, the, the GB incurred right. after it ran into a car that then ran into a gas truck and exploded. So what you're telling me is that the government will <laughs> recklessly do things and not... Well, it's a movie. In the That's movie, it's, in the movie. movie it's only a I mean, movie. Certainly the American government no, would never do never. anything like this. Never, never, never. And, of course, that attitude leads to an, a confrontation between Fitch and Cliff. Cliff punches Fitch. They exchange some blows. They pull him, pull him apart. What I love is, like, Cliff punches the FBI agent, and there's enough time for that FBI agent to turn around and punch him. Mm-hmm. Like, FBI agents, what are you doing? He just assaulted a federal agent well, you know. down on the ground. No, like, this is, this, this is, like, no, oh, this is they're, they're going to dust up. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, and also, after he gets punched, uh, his partner's like, That flyboy hangs with on my kisser, and you let him waltz? Maybe you had it coming. Finally, someone punched yeah. this asshole. <laughs> That's right. That's right. One, one of my favorite, that uh, gangster who survived, who was being like, led away in, in an ambulance. Spit it out, Wilma. Where's the package? Blown to hell. Why don't you go look for it? It's a movie that is very much taking a lingual advantage of the fact that it is set in the mid to late 30s as everyone is just mm-hmm. throwing off as much 30s slang as they can yes. every opportunity yeah. they get. Sure. But it feels so authentic. And mm-hmm. again, clearly Joe Johnson knows how to make a movie in this era. And it just, it never, you're right, they clearly lean in on it and it never feels cheesy or, you know, if Joe Johnston had directed the shadow oh, would have been so much better. Yeah, because I, I think at times they couldn't sustain that tone, and the tone mm-hmm. in this never 
never wavers. Even to the point where later when Billy shows up at the, the Bulldog Diner and the little girl scares him, it's a great little acting moment for him. He's like, uh, Patsy, you scared the living heck out of me. He wanted to say, where the hell? But he's like, Ooh, can't, little kid. And like, meanwhile, today we're, we'd say, where the hell? You know? <laughs> at least. It's such a, it's such a <laughs> 1938 thing to be like, ooh, I got to say heck because it's a, it's a little girl. So the FBI agents report in the, uh, the bad news to <laughs> Howard Hughes, played by the amazing Terry O'Quinn. Oh. Here's our second Locke. Uh, John Locke, yes, but also Admiral Eric Pressman from the Star Trek The Next Generation episode Pegasus, where the Federation ship has put cloaking device inside of it, but it also loses uh, matter and it is phased in the middle of an asteroid. And Riker is told not to tell Picard because Pressman used to be Riker's commanding officer. Mm-hmm. Mm. Pretty much, you know, what if you need someone to be like borderline evil, morally ambiguous, get Terry yeah, morally ambiguous, morally is ambiguous, exactly where he lives. Like anytime he shows up in anything because of that, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. watch out for Terry yeah. Quinn. It, a little less so in this movie. He's 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 a little yes, more. He's, he, he has yeah. he has he's ethos. He doesn't like that he's working with the government and that the government wants to turn anything with wings into a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is why he's nice. like he's not like angry really so much that the jetpack seemingly got destroyed. He's more at least happy that it didn't fall into the wrong hands and it wasn't used to hurt or kill anybody. Sure. Full disclosure, Casey knows this. I did not watch Lost. I did watch the first episode. I remember watching that. I became aware of Terry O'Quinn, probably like many people from Lost, and I envision him as that dangerous, morally ambiguous person. Spoiler, I loved him as Howard Hughes in this because yeah. you're mm-hmm. right, he's he seems earnest. He doesn't seem like he has an ulterior motive. Uh, yeah. He's just delightful. I don't know if he's my favorite, but he's he's going to be a contender. He's just happy to hear that it flew. Um, yes. Yeah. Like, ultimately, ultimately by the end of it, um, when we first meet him, that, that's like we find out that's, that's what the FBI agents were chasing after that. We still don't fully 100% know. We only see it from like the blueprint that's on his desk and like the cover of like the like World's Fair that he was going to debut it at. Of this yes. this miraculous right. flying like rocket pack. Rocketing to the future is mm-hmm. the title of the promo there. And you've got the three figures from the original poster. And again, like knowing that this was an homage to um King of the Rocket Men, like mm-hmm. you clearly mm-hmm. see that. It's it's that core of flying soldiers. Yeah, yeah. I love at the end of the scene, he throws what I assumably is all the information on these uh on this rocket. He throws it in, and one of the FBI agents is like, sure, you won't reconsider? And I wish Terry Quinn would be like, yeah, it's burning. No, there's nothing <laughs> yeah, to reconsider, man. Yeah. Oh, I better reach in this fire and get it. It's like, no, obviously, <laughs> yeah. idiot. I'm gonna, I, 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 don't, it's, it's, I don't want to do it this anymore. It's what we call in the business a hard no. Yeah, like, like he's like he's like very adamant, too, Like when they when they talk about like hoping he reconsiders like maybe designing again. He's like, I'll remind you, boys, that I don't work for the government. I cooperate at my discretion. Two of my best pilots were killed during the test phase. God knows how many more men would have died if it had flown. Which is totally waved over, but in 1938 to say, I don't work for the government, mm-hmm. like, that's going to get you put on a communist list pretty fucking quick. Mm-hmm. Like, Well, it, except he had the clout to say no. Yeah, he was Howard Hughes. I, he owned he owned a yeah. lot. Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, it's Howard Hughes. Yeah. But it just it's kind of showing like Howard Hughes is allowed to say no to the right. government. Not many other people were allowed yeah. to at that time. Uh but you see uh, okay, I mean 
you see how, oh, that's who Howard Stark was, mm-hmm. right? Like, yep. clearly mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. progenitor oh, yeah. for that character, mm-hmm. it's Howard Hughes, 100%. What's this 300 gallons here? We don't burn that much fuel in two years, Bigelow. You burned it up in two seconds when my fuel truck went up. We're back now at the airstrip. PV and Cliff are arguing with Bigelow of said airstrip, the wonderful, delightful John Polito. John Polito, the best bargain store version of Danny DeVito you could ever hope to get your hands on. <laughs> it's He's one of those actors that I always... I always misremember thinking that Danny DeVito's in a lot more than he has been in because I'm thinking of John Polito. It's <laughs> Todd won't, might not get this, but he, John Polito's discount version is Ernie Sabella. Uh-huh. Oh, I mm-hmm. I do 100%. I do 100%. I that is the, that reference. That is that is the <laughs> If you can't get Polito, you, you get Sabella. Yeah. But yeah, Polito just doing great great angry work. He's Bigelow is so is mad, genuinely mad at Cliff and Peavy for the damage that they've incurred because they blew up a gas tank. Uh, after, after, after the car that got shot out of the, or the plane that got shot out of the sky hit one of the cars that caused it to crash into the tank, and has now put it on their bill. Yeah. What we've we he's shown the up Punisher. just recently. He was in the Punisher. Mm-hmm. The pun? No, no. One of the movies we've done on the podcast. What did we just watch? Was it Blank Man? We, no, he was also in Blank he Man was. too. But he's also in the Punisher. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I mean, he's he has two hundred and twenty-two yeah, credits. He's, on he yeah, around. he's in Blank Man. Oh, and That's he was right. in I, The Crow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, the crow. Not. I'm sorry. Not the Punisher. The crow. The crow. That's okay. that's what it is. Okay. The other dark, ridiculous yeah. comic book movie. The, the one duster. good movie about a. That's right. He's crow? like the pawn shop owner or something. Yes. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Okay. Peavy and Cliff. You know, if they weren't kind of scraping to get by before, now they're in trouble because the government's not paying for the damage they did, and Bigelow's assessing that against them, so they're in trouble. He offers. Of course, I. Uh... Could always use the old clown act. Peavy rejects outright. We don't do the clown act no more. And Cliff's like, Peavy, Peavy, wait, it's, it's worth 15 bucks a shot. 10 bucks a shot, 5 bucks goes towards your bill. They go back and uh, in the hangar, they find what was in the case, the X3, the rocket pack. Cliff messes with it. It ignites and flies around the hangar, and he tries it on. Uh, question. Yes. Uh, does it run on alcohol because Howard Hughes? Could be. That's just, you know what that is? That is just Hughes thinking of a good double workaround it's like yeah it burns burns faster burns you know burn than, than traditional fuse fuels would listen a risk for the the person flying it and also if you get stranded somewhere you could tap it like a keg yeah <laughs> yeah and, and again yeah. like th- that's what was available in the era mm-hmm. right like the concept of jet fuel doesn't exist yet but it could run on gasoline sure they could sure it could 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 have could have but it's just the fact that yeah. it's alcohol, and the fact that it's pointed out seems like it's referencing like Howard Hughes was thinking outside the yeah, box, and that he built it so that the casing of it remains cold because it's later stated why, but that <laughs> sure. that, it, that it so it doesn't heat up as you know it's rocketing around everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't want it to get really hot on directly on your back. That's, Ideally, okay. I think you want to avoid that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I took that as. Just like emphasizing that this is exotic, right? Like it's not mm. simply an extension of a, you know, of a car engine or something. You know that it's mm-hmm. it's somehow different and weird. It's nighttime. Uh, Lucky Lindy's flight school has its statue stolen by PV and Cliff, <laughs> and we'll see why in a few moments here. Cut back to, uh, well, the introduction of Eddie Valentine, the 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 mobster, the delightful Paul Sorvino. Mm-hmm. He is questioning the 
essentially Errol Flynn, movie star of Sinclair. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Uh, we have four Star Trek actors. Ah. Paul Sorvino played Worf's human brother. Worf has a human brother? I, yeah, Worf was does. raised by Russians on Earth oh, after his okay. huh. after his father was killed in the Kittimer uh, massacre. There we go. Uh, I, I, so we have four in this one, <laughs> one movie. movie. Jesus. We we find out that Valentine and his crew was hired to steal the X three. Uh, mm-hmm. Sinclair is not happy about the turn of it. Uh, the amazing Timothy Dalton. Yes, incredible. Who, Just oh chewing scenery with glee oh. and reckless abandon. When I first started watching um, uh, Hot Fuzz, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, what a cool turn for Timothy Dalton playing the, you know, the bad guy. Is he the bad guy? Yes, he is the bad guy. Completely forgetting <laughs> he already did it 30 <laughs> years ago yeah. in this movie. <laughs> like, this has to be why Simon Pegg uh, tapped him I for. Would, I, I would hope that that, that that got him Hot Fuzz because that, that, oh. that tracks so directly. God, oh, you know, this so movie, good. one, made me want to watch Hot, Hot Fuzz again. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Timothy Dalton's so good. <laughs> it, it makes me a little bit sad. Like, I kind of feel like his career kind of just quietly went away. And I don't know why that is, because he is brilliant, um, right? I got two words for you. James and Bond. He is touted as one of the worst James oh, Bonds. And but he's not. He's not bad. I would argue, too, that... Of all the James Bonds, I would say maybe maybe contending with Connery has had the most success post Bond. Um, sure, he's, he's been he's been used yeah. to, to much better acclaim elsewhere than necessarily within within the scope of Bond. Like I, I again, I because I love the show too, but I, he was great in Penny Dreadful. I loved him in that. Oh, see, I never watched it's it. Really, is it. Is it good? It's really fun. The first like all the right. first two seasons at least are very. Very, very good. Just like if if you're willing to accept the sort of like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen thing they're setting up, uh, mm-hmm. it's very, it's it's quite good and enjoyable. And I mean that almost literally because some of the main characters are like he's basically I think he's literally playing Alex Quartermain, um, and <laughs> oh, and like cool. Dorian Gray is in it and like Jekyll and Hyde. It's it's oh almost God. it's very much like. It's a better version of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. You mean the League of <laughs> Extraordinary <laughs> Gentlemen? Yes. Uh, you know what? With that description, that's going to make me watch it now. Yeah. Now I'm convinced. Okay. It's very fun. It's very good. And everyone everyone in it is very good and is completely aware of the sort of show it is and are mm-hmm. willing to be ridiculous as as the show calls. Ava Green is in that, right? Ava Green is in it. She is. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. A Bond girl. Um, yep. What what channel is that or what? That I think that was Showtime. I want to say I don't want to say that. Uh, was I think you're right. That's why. Yeah. That's why mm-hmm. I don't have Showtime. We mentioned a a person, an actor with a problematic personal life a little bit earlier. Mel Gibson. New boy. The woman that was the genesis or the woman at the center of the conflict that made Gibson notorious, other than the DUI arrest, but the recorded phone calls was a woman, Oksana uh, Grigoryova. Grigorio, his, his ex-wife, Gr- yeah. Grigorieva, yeah, who was his ex-wife. I wonder if, like, I mean, obviously it was really ugly with Gibson. I wonder if there was something ugly in her relation, in his relationship with her, that hurt his. Oh wait, did he also date her? They have a son together. I don't think they were married. But Timothy Dalton. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Before wow. she, before she connected with Mel Gibson. Yeah. 
That's up there with uh, Kate Beckinsale and um, oh Pete shit, Davidson? what's his name? No, Paul. No. Uh, Paul S. W. Anderson, I think is. No, 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 no. The the guy that she has a kid oh, with. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know who you mean. Yeah. Uh, Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Yeah. Michael Sheen, like Frost and Nixon. Yes. What? They have a kid together. Wow, that is. They they met. Pre Underworld mm-hmm. and were together during the first. No, no, they were they were already oh, separated by the by the first. Ooh, that must underworld. have made that movie awkward. <laughs> no, they, they. She said it on Dak Shepard's podcast that they they co parent just fine. They realized, hey, we don't work as a couple. Hmm. We can be friends and we can parent our child. Mm-hmm. They they get along great. Well, Mr. Gibson understand. and Miss uh, Grigorieva <laughs> could have taken some notes there. Yeah, well, yeah, I think Mr. Gibson needs to take the notes more than anybody. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen with me and my boys until you tell me exactly why this merchandise is so important to the feds. The mob threatens a, we don't know at the time, but he is a Nazi, and the Nazi does not back down. Mm-hmm. Because the Nazi is calling the shots, uh-huh. not the mob. Uh-huh. Right, and they leave. I love at the end of it, he's like, you bring me that rocket. And I'll double your price. And Paul Servino's. You'll triple my price. Yeah. And then, and then it's so off. good. You're like, ooh. Yep. You're like, ooh, shit. And he calls. Um, One of the greatest henchmen in the history of cinema, Lothar. Yes. Who is introduced. Lothar. Who is introduced. He rings him up. And all you see is it's Lothar sitting in like a smoking chair. Facing away, you only see him from the behind, and he, like he's listening to the magic flute on the radio, just listening yes, casually listening to opera. And he hears the phone call, so he turns down the opera, and he reaches past his sandwich that he has delicately sliced into quarters, uh, mm-hmm. and answers the phone. And then he tells him, you know, that he had to make a, a condolence call, and he's like, "I know what that means. I've done this before." And it hangs up, and then oof, what's going to happen with Lothar? So the wonderful. Tiny Ron Taylor. And this is our fourth Star Trek actor. Mm-hmm. There we go. We're done. Mm-hmm. Also going to appear later in the podcast, maybe next season in our Patreon. He is oh the big guy in Roadhouse. He is. He is. Uh, what? Yes. What did we talk? Wait, stop. Yeah. D- what, don't what you remember mean, we talked maybe about next that? Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah. No, I, <sighs> I'm pretty sure we did. Talked about what? That we're doing Roadhouse yeah, next season? Yeah, no, we're going to do Roadhouse. You, we did yeah, not. Yeah, we see. Come on. He's, he's Mountain in Roadhouse. <laughs> he's, the, he's the big guy. And he is hired when, you, you know, if you can't get the guy who plays Jaws yep. in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Yeah. Or if you can't get Ron Perlman's Jaws. Yeah, if you can't get the guy who plays Jaws who also shows up in Happy Gilmore, you get... Yes. You get you you get Tiny Ron who also showed up in Ace Ventura. That's yes, yes he yes. did. Yep. Yes. Uh, he was <laughs> Jesus. So Christ. he was in the Naked Gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's out. But yeah, but he you never see his face, right? Like yeah, he's, he's always running. Gag. He's always yeah, he, yeah, because because he's seven feet tall, so they always shoot him <laughs> from like the chest down. That's just always the bit. I can't remember if it was in the Naked Gun movies or if it was on Police Squad, but one of the two, he walks in, he's he's got a banana, and Frank's like, uh, got something here. It's, it's, got it's the something. movie, and, it's and the like, entire like banana drops out. The entire banana falls <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> God, those movies are so good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So <laughs> stupid, but so good. He was he was a basketball player. Yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, specifically, the song that he's listening to is my personal favorite song from the Magic Flute, mm-hmm. The Queen of the Night, mm-hmm. because it's just like, hey, soprano, sing all the high notes forever. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> How many of the high notes? All of them. 
all of them. <laughs> uh, so now we are back with Cliff and PV. We see why they took the statue of Charles Lindbergh. They are using the statue as the stand-in. It's not a bad plan. Yeah, it, it's a pretty reasonable course to be like, yeah, let's grab what is essentially a mannequin uh, and strap this thing to it and see what it looks like when you when a human is actually like piloting it. That's right. PV has rigged up essentially a, a wire control so they can activate the jetpack from a, mm-hmm. a distance away. They've secured a chain to the statue and the, the other end is uh, secured to a stake driven into the ground. They take cover, activate the jetpack, it ignites, and essentially becomes like one of those um, the airplane things you had that was battery powered that would like spin on the wire. And it essentially yeah. does that until the stake works its way out of the dirt and it takes off into the night. <laughs> yeah, really weird short movie that doesn't yeah. really go anywhere. Surprise. Yeah. yeah, it disappears and uh, we never find out why the they call pack. it the Rocketeer. Luckily, clearly, the uh, there must have been some drag, maybe from the chain. It caused the statue to loop around because as Cliff and PV are searching in the night sky, they hear a noise behind them, and of course, the statue has come back around and is about to dive bomb them. It crashes into the ground. They're able to recover it, and we see where this is going. I think we're going to need a helmet. After it crashes and they're bringing it back, I really enjoy it. I just want to borrow it for a while. Clifford, when you borrow something, you don't tell nobody. They call that stealing, you know. (laughs) Such a great line. (laughs) We next meet the delightful Jenny, Jennifer Mm. Connelly. Just so wonderful. Uh, Wife of Kevin Klein, right? No, Paul Bettany. Paul Paul Bettany, Bettany, that's Uh right. You're thinking of Phoebe Cates. Yeah, Phoebe Cates, yeah. Yes, 10 years earlier. That's right, that's right. (laughs) Um, She is living in... Uh, the boarding house up from Bosom Buddies. <laughs> How dare you. The woman who runs the boarding house. Do you recognize her from another superhero movie that we've already done? Don't look it up. Don't look at, look, look at me. Look at your computer. Look at me. Don't wait for the translation. Answer now. You know my rules. No gentleman after 6 p.m. Well, I'm no gentleman. You're going to say that again. I do not. Who is that? She is the little old lady who is on the airplane with Bullseye in... The uh, Ben Affleck opus, Daredevil. Uh, she's the one that he takes that the peanut up. and flicks it and ricochets and kills her, pretty much. <laughs> it's the same woman. As soon as she showed up, I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> Once again, TSPHC Army. Everybody's in this movie. Everybody! Uh, and it is that era, right, where the YMCA or the, the male boarding house, like, you know, now we have one in Syracuse and it's not you know, perceived positively, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't envy anyone living there. Uh, but this is a totally viable and reasonable arrangement for a young woman in Hollywood. Um, She's just trying to break in. She's just trying to break into the industry. She's just working on these bit parts. It. Yeah. And again, the whole premise of Bosom Buddies, right, is that no men allowed inside. Mm-hmm. And Tom Hanks and Peter that guy, yep. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, um, him. He just passed too. He did, and we can't think of his name. Uh, hang, hang on, it's gonna sit. Who's in gonna our get head. there first? Uh, Peter Scolari. Scolari. Peter you Scolari. Got the um, you know they have to disguise themselves as women because men weren't even allowed in beyond like essentially the lobby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, that's where Jenny lives. She's an aspiring actress. She's dating Cliff. She's getting ready to go out. He picks her up. And of course, it's the, I mean, not exactly like the spinster gatekeeper, but not too far removed from it. Mm -hmm. Have a good time, dear. If he tries anything, deck him. And don't forget the curfew. I lock up at 11 sharp. Can we spend a minute? Because this is the first time it looks like this. How badly did you want Billy Campbell's hair in this movie? It's so perfectly cool. I would say not until Brendan Fraser in the first Mummy movie would we get just such a nice clean part and just like with like just enough little swoosh kind of like like flip over bit. It just looks great, especially after he starts like. Getting in and out of the helmet later on, and it and, yes. it and it doesn't it doesn't quite stay in place, but it's not entirely must either, like must up either. It's so cool. Did you say <laughs> you know the a name you didn't share? And my guess is because he was not yet. Well, no, ninety one. Wait, when you when, when, when Encino Man came out? Because I think Encino Man is ninety two or ninety three. I think. Well, I, I'm not thinking Brendan Fraser. Oh, I was. You know who else has the same look in other movies from this era? Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. But it's. It's 15 years sure. before his. But, yeah, oh, so it, no, 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 no. that's producer credits. I would, I would uh, say, I would say, it's after, it's after yeah. um, Thumb, Thumb and Louise. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But his hair wasn't like that. He's not Brad Pitt yet, but he's still like appeared in things. Sure, I think, sure, and, sure. And, sure. And, I, I think it would have been an interesting take to see him in like a in like a movie like this. But well, I believe at this point, had he not done Cool World, mm, was that not 1990? Mm, one moment, I'm on his page. Cool World was it's uh, that's ninety two, so that's ninety two really. Wow, Thelma Louise is ninety one. It's TV stuff, TV, TV. Yeah, twenty one Jump Street, Mm eighty eight. His first acting credit was Hunk Boy at the Beach, uncredited in eighty (laughs) seven. Yeah, so he he didn't have the clout yet, but yeah, yeah. No, no, he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been looked at for this. I don't think he would have done this. I mean, Billy's. Perfect. He's right. perfect. Billy yeah, Campbell he's, is yeah, perfect. I did have that thought after I after I watched this today. Um, mm-hmm. I did have that thought if it wasn't for the fact that Chris Evans is such a perfect Captain America. Mm-hmm. You know, Billy Campbell gets really close to that. Mm-hmm. The difference is he's not the noble person that Steve Rogers is and it's no fault yeah. of Billy Campbell right but um yeah he's he's really close but he's got that earnest quality mm-hmm. right yeah he sure does mm-hmm. yeah he's really he's good he's great speaking of uh Captain America the First Avenger where do we go next hey we better scram if we're going to catch this Cagney movie uh, 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 it's my turn to pick my favorite part of it is where it's like Harry Blair assures the western powers he is not mashing troops at the Czech border bull fucking <laughs> shit <Yeah. laughs> and to, as a show of good faith he's sending this huge fuck off zeppelin Around the world as a on a world peace tour that just happens to be filled with explosive hydrogen. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. When when was Hindenburg? Uh, it's before this because there's a reference to mm-hmm. they almost blew up half the country. So it already had happened. And it already yes. happened. Yeah. Okay. 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 And I love that. It, it, I watched this with obviously with captions on, mm-hmm. and I noticed the newsreeler said it wrong too. Instead of saying Luxembourg, he's a Luxembourg. Yeah, the airship Luxembourg. The Hindenburg was only a year before. It was so there we go. So this is very, yeah. very recent. Memory. Yeah. I also just love to as they're getting to their seat uh, that Cliff is just loaded for bear with snacks. He has like 
two things of popcorn. <laughs> like he, he's like he's like carrying like a small child's worth of just like concessions with him into this into this movie, this Neville Sinclair movie they're about to watch That's about right. about fighter pilots in World War One. And he, <laughs> it sounds really terrible. Yeah, but he from what we hear at the end, and he is merciless, right? Like. He's, he is clear. Neville, Neville Sinclair is clearly a poser, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Billy's a pilot. Now, he's not a veteran, but he, you know, risks his life in the air, and Neville Sinclair is clearly a poser. This new Neville Sinclair movie. Oh, Jen, you know Cagney's better. We see the hospital now, and that condolence call that Sinclair set up, um, we, we understand what that meant. While Wilmer is recovering in traction in a room, there's a cop on duty outside with the nurse, and we see Lothar sneak into the room. Very nimble for a seven-foot-tall giant. Yes. He is a mountain of a man. He is very tall and also very <laughs> quiet and very nimble. Yes. And you said it earlier. Um, so we see Lothar's face here, and my first thought was, oh, my God, that's a Dick Tracy villain. Mm-hmm. Right. The prosthetics, it's so jarring because up until this point, there's not a lick of prostheses anywhere. Yeah. In this movie, it it is everyone is just you know is just like regular faced. It's fine, and then yeah, that moment comes where he like lights the match over Wilmer's face. I guess to make sure it's him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the weirdest. I thought it was trying to wake him up, but you're yeah. absolutely right. That's what he was doing. Like, well, you can't use lights, your man. cell phone light flashlight, right? Like, there's no right. Like, it's yeah. oh, Todd, I have terrible news for you. They haven't been invented yet. <laughs> oh, the horror. The prosthetics, like, it, it, especially since he's always asking about the rocket, mm-hmm. and his mouth just goes, the rocket. The rocket. The ADR in the movie for Lothar is great it's because it's just, really rough. It's, you, you can tell that, yeah, articulation was not really in mind when they made these prosthetics for Lothar. <laughs> he's just like, he's just, yeah. just, he's like, just tell Tiny Ron, just kind of go like, bah, 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 bah. And like, we'll like, we'll ADR, we'll, 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 we'll get it in, we'll get it in later. In Dick Tracy, everyone has prostheses all over. Over the place. So, like when Dick Tracy uh, beats up the uh, the hobo mm-hmm. that's going after uh, what is he? Not Tramp. Is it Tramp? The little kid that he's got there. The kid from the, from Hook. I think is that what his name is? Tramp. It feels right. Or so. Mutt, Tramp, something, whatever it is. When he's beating up that guy, I think Lothar and him might be the same prosthetics. It, it might be. <laughs> but it just slapped um, him on Tiny Ron. Do you, you want to know who designed the prosthetics for Lothar? Stan Winston. Close. If you can't get Stan Winston, you get Rick Baker. Oh, wow. At a 50-50. Yeah. At a 50-50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I wonder, if, I wonder if that's really his voice. Because it is. No. It is. It's it's deep enough that it could be, but I I yeah. don't know that it is. So IMDb doesn't list a, a a voice credit for Lothar, so it's either uncredited or maybe it is him. Yeah, maybe it is him. All right, I might be completely wrong. Uh, so Wilmer awakens. First of all, can you imagine how horrifying that is to wake up to that over you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> After you've been in a horrible like and, and car accident shootout. Like the match isn't enough to wake Wilmer up. So Lothar like reaches down and just kinda like jostles his leg 
to like get him into pain so he can like come back to consciousness so that he knows what's about to happen because Lothar has to get some info out of him. That's right, and mm-hmm. and he does. Uh, Wilmer explains about the switch of the jetpack in the hangar, and sadly, that's not enough to buy Wilmer his life. Because as the cop and the nurse, their radio show is interrupted by actual screaming. Uh, they come in and Jesus. Uh, it's a v- uh, very clean death. He's hoisted in the traction mechanism, mm-hmm. but we can't see like what it was that killed him. But he was screaming, clearly in pain. We can presume that that he that Lothar did some kind of folding because that appears to be like his mo. Is just is yeah, just bending sure. people like origami uh, when he when he when he need, uh, when he's gotten what he needs out of them. Yeah, it's it's fucking rough. It, I mean, at this point, I'm like, is this this is a kid's movie? movie? Yeah, what the fuck is happening? But then I remember it's the yeah, 90s. it's the nineties, you know, it's the eighties and nineties. They didn't care no. about whether or not it was going to scar the child, no. and it's PG. It yeah, is it's not even thirteen. Yeah, it's PG, and there are like on-screen deaths mm-hmm. in this movie Lots. near the end, and I'm just yeah. like, is it just because they're Nazis? <laughs> Who gives a shit? <laughs> All right, so we- uh, yeah, we go to after dinner date at the, um, the Bulldog Cafe. The, the Bulldog, thank you. The Bulldog Cafe. And it's just everybody in this it, diner is somebody. Like, yes. you know, oh, yeah, him. Oh, yeah, him. Oh, her. And Margo yeah. Martindale as Millie. Yes. Yes. You, the wonderful Margo mm-hmm. Martindale. She's always a delight to she, see. Uh, what was the HBO, the the leftovers? Uh, I would argue. Oh, is she on that? She is oh, wow. arguably one, one of the leads. She's one of the leads. I mean, it's, and she's a role with meat. Uh, she's phenomenal. Okay. If you like her, and it's uh, what's his name, uh, Mister X, uh, Jennifer Aniston, um, Justin Theroux. Justin Theroux is phenomenal in that. I, he hit my radar because of that series. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it wasn't Charles Angel's Full Throttle. It, that, that didn't put him in. It, it was not. It, it it kind of was Your Highness. It kind of oh, was Your God. Highness. But yes, Your <laughs> Highness. What a, what a weird movie. Uh, it's this wonderful little. It reminded me of the, and it's clearly going after this. The bar in the right stuff where mm-hmm. where Chuck yeah. Yeager and all the fighter pilots hang out. Mm-hmm. It's not a bar. Yeah, it's yeah. a diner. Yeah, but it's clearly this is their. So it's so. Cliff and PV are the two main characters, but there is a little ensemble entourage. Malcolm is is one of them. He was shot down by. <laughs> The Red the, Baron. The Red Baron clearly has some sort of like shell shock. Yeah, is is or his, whatever yeah. P- PTSD yeah. type thing. Yeah, because he opens his big dumb mouth. He sure does. <laughs> Going to fly in the Nationals after all? Well, I'm glad to hear it. After that landing today. How about a warm up, Malcolm? Folded like a kite when she hit the runway. We thought old Cliffy's number was up. What with the fire and all. And it's so funny. Cliff is clearly trying to nurture his relationship with Jenny, but he brings her to the place where. He's part of this crew, and it's kind—it's hard to have this moment. And she clearly has affection for these guys, mm-hmm. but Malcolm accidentally flips a, a wheel off a toy plane into her soup. Pulls a ace. I'm sorry, Jenny. Spills up onto her, and she just has this, like, weary, like, okay. She loves Cliff, but, like, would love just, like, a night, a, a proper night out. Once in a while, it wouldn't hurt to try someplace new. Maybe away from the airfield. It's Liz just so exhausted of the Winchester in Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. That's the ex- 
Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Just right. gonna say that. Yeah. It one hundred percent is. Yeah. I didn't want to ruin your evening. Thank you. It's very thoughtful of you. You'd rather make a fool out of me? They have a fight. She yeah. leaves just on the most um, deus ex machina of mm. buses that happen to go by. So now Jenny is genuinely pissed, primarily because Cliff, she's the last to find out in this room of people. She's the last one to know. And, like, Cliff yeah. tries to, like, kind of salvage it by being like... Jen, everyone knows because they were at the airfield. I had an audition. It was important to me. And like, and like, kind of, sort of tries mm-hmm. to turn it around and be like, I understand. Just like the last time when I flew the regionals, you got a big part. You stood behind Myrna Loy with a bowl of grapes. Yeah, it's right. a great pull. <laughs> but Jenny is very clearly in the right on this one and storms off. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. So that actor Eddie Jones, I think his most iconic role. He is the father of Marla Hooch. From League of Their Own. Oh, okay. Wait, Eddie Jones. Yeah, Eddie Jones is Malcolm. Yes, he's the the one that the Red Baron shot down, and he spoils it. Oh, not Lane Smith. Not Lane. Lane Smith is um, Perry White. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're right. Eddie Jones. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he's he's Marlo Hooch's father. Yeah, yeah. So. God. So sweet. <laughs> and he apologizes to Cliff. Like when oh, she goes out, yeah, he's, he's like, so I'm sorry. And, heartbroken. And again, yeah. Cliff just can't seem to really stay mad at anyone who isn't directly threatening his or Jenny's life. Um, yep. And so right. he's just like, oh, it's okay. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, and then he, he decides he's going to make it up to her the next day. That's right. <laughs> and that's going to go that's great. So smooth. Now, Cliff returns home. Peavy's working on the rocket, he's designed the helmet. And Justin, you you know perfectly sums up. It's such a brilliant practical design that this elongated fin works as essentially a steering mechanism. So if you turn your head to the left, it's going to deflect the air. You know, you're gonna you're gonna go to the left. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a brilliant which, little bit, which and we will see very <laughs> very obviously very happening in, okay. in 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 about fifteen minutes in the in, into the movie, uh, <laughs> further right. further along right. the movie. So we've um, oh go ahead. Before we leave this scene, uh, can we give Alan Arkin a honorary Oscar for the? You hadn't had a date since 1932. Flora Maxwell. There was no point in dating nobody after her. <laughs> you just see it all yeah, come back. The whole, the whole backstory you see oh in my his God, eyes. God, it's the best. <laughs> yeah, but it's just we've all been there where somebody says something and like a light goes on in your head like oh my god, all this stuff just came rushing yeah. back. Yeah. Like he looks in the middle yeah. distance and he's just like, Floor Maxwell. Yeah. And then he just, and then, and then once Cliff goes to bed, he goes back to saw on a radio and have to finish making this helmet. Um, <laughs> like, like you do. do. The, the next morning, Cliff comes in and just like a robe. Like they're very, like very comfortable, very casual. Um, and I, I, he does a thing that I, I will confess, I actually do like this trope in a superhero movie. I, I, I know it is a bit of a divisive trope, um, but he sees the helmet and he picks it up. He has got to be kidding. It's like the immediate initial critique of like the classic costume that, 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 that kind of happens. Sure, sure. It's a it's a cliche, but I think in ninety one it was not was no, it? Not at I all. I think this was like the beginning of it. So we mm-hmm. will we'll forgive mm-hmm. it. Like we were talking about heels earlier on Arrow. I still don't like when Malcolm on that was like, "What about the Green Arrow?" And he goes, "Lame." Like, like that, I don't like it. It's like the two opposite thing. It's saying that the, we're calling him Green Arrow is lame, and on the other side of the spectrum is 
uh, James Jonah Jameson and Spider-Man 2 coming up with Doctor, like pitching Doctor Octopus as a name and enjoying it. I'm like, I like this. I like, which, which is a scene. Again, we will be getting shortly in this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now we quickly move to uh, a movie set. So we see Sinclair again, if you didn't get that, he's Errol Flynn. He's clearly supposed to be Errol Flynn. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a, what what was it? The laughing, the laughing, the laughing bandit. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The laughing bandit. And it's uh, swashbuckling, you know, fencing through the castle, you know, a big dramatic uh, climax. He stabs his opponent and the actress (laughs) who we will find out is the producer's niece horribly flubs her line. Oh my prince, would that you drink of my lips as deeply? Cut, cut, cut. Back to first position. This is real uh, shit. The character in Singing in the Rain uh-huh. that was a si- silent movie actor and then mm-hmm. just. With her, with her voice, not... you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When she spoke, <laughs> my wife was half watching this uh, while I was watching it today. And when that happened, she just looked up and went. Oh. Yeah, because 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 everyone like, no, no, it's it's supposed to yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone in the scene is very committed to this you know like a very high like my my favorite is still probably the guy in the movie mm-hmm. when Neville Sinclair reveals that he is he is the laughing bandit and it, the guy just it cuts to a guy just is like good heavens it's a regular. <laughs> it's just like it's just like it's like that is like this like thing and, oh. and, and the director gives her the great note acting. Is acting like you're not acting. So act, but don't act like you're acting. Get it? All right. Why don't we try that? Yeah. <laughs> she just looks mm-hmm. so befuddled by that note. Mm-hmm. And I love the the guy with the clapper. Yeah. Did you catch how many takes they've done of that scene? Laughing bandit, scene one fourteen, take twenty eight. Twenty eight. Presumably because oh. she cannot get the delivery right. And of course, that line is at the end of this incredibly complex sequence. Mm-hmm. This duel. The you know the 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 final defeat of the laughing bandits uh, enemy mm-hmm. yeah somehow Cliff again a different time it's supposed to be a closed set and Cliff has just wandered in mm-hmm. like he's just I walking, was uncomfortable watching he's yes. just walking through the like un the currently unused parts of the set and there were actors and set people and they're all just like hey some strange dudes yeah. here whatever yeah it's not even like the edges like where equipment and stuff he's literally in the set he's behind the flats mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and we'll know this because in a moment he pushes a flat and it you know of course you know falls over narrowly uh missing sinclair as he dives under a table and uh chaos jenny of course uh the subject of the Outcome of this. This is supposed to be a closed set. No visitors. I want that. Jenny, banned from the lot. Uh, because part of this this take, he accidentally stabs. Yes. Yep. Oh, that's right. His scene partner, which and like and like calls for like his personal driver to take him to the hospital. It's like very apologetic. Oh my God, forgive me, Charlie. I, I had no idea. I I do love though that like. In trying to like publicly keep his cool, well, never let it be said Neville Sinclair failed to bring down the house. <laughs> and like to try, like break the tension, right. and then immediately stalks over the director and is like, "You find that girl, and you have her banned from the set." Yeah, <laughs> uh, this little bit, and again, it's a little, it's a little detail that I feel like is just there for our enjoyment. His partner in the scene, the man he accidentally stabbed, says to him, "Did you think I was?" Stealing the scene. Sinclair's a little bit of a dick. Yeah, right? and like then he's, he, he probably he's not did it on purpose. Yes. <laughs> now, do you think it got back to him 
that Neville was a Nazi, and like he's like, holy shit, Nazi doctors worked on me. I like that he would have thought, like he would have heard this, like you know, the same Neville was a Nazi, and he's like, you know what, that makes sense. He's like, he's like, he's like, that yeah. makes sense. Looking back at it, I think actually the the other actor who got stabbed, I think he's the person trying to convince everyone else in Hollywood that Neville was a Nazi. Because at the end, we <laughs> hear the radio report, him. and you know, and it's it like his, they've yeah. sanitized, yeah. And the other guy's like, no, I'm telling you, I don't think it was an accident. I think he really meant to stab me. I looked at him. He didn't look like a guy who was upset about killing. Like, he's going, he's in, he's at, like, the, what's the famous, the Brown Derby or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. He's he's yeah. at the bar like, no, I'm telling you, Neville Sinclair was a Nazi, I swear to God. And everybody's like, okay, yeah, okay sure, yeah, okay, sure, sure. Listen, he sta- <laughs> look, it was an accident. Yeah, Everyone's just going like, yep. cut him off. Yeah, no, no more. more. Yeah. No more. And he said, all right, that's enough for the night. Oh, I just want to patch things up. Now, as Cliff is explaining to Jenny what they found, this rocket pack, uh, Sinclair overhears. And, of course, we know Sinclair's after this. So he starts scheming. He's got to make contact. So he chases them through the set, finds Jenny, Mm -hmm. and it's almost uncomfortable to watch. One, he's considerably older. Oh, yeah. It's casting couch. Yeah. Yeah. But but first, like, he, he, he overhears that he's talking about the rocket. And so he then, like, tries to stalk after Cliff and pushes everyone and everything yes. out of the yes. way. It doesn't yeah. matter who it is, what they're carrying, they're on the ground. He's trying to get to find who this person is that's talking about this rocket pack, and he just misses him. He's doing the George Costanza in the fire in mm-hmm. the apartment, mm-hmm. moving through people yeah, to get yes, him. Yeah. Yes, 100%. Um, <laughs> now, to be fair, one of those people that was seated near the end of the shoving everything out of the way, there's one guy that Neville knocks over, and there's a guy sitting on the path and stands up and gets right in his way. I'm like, dude, he's, this guy he's, is clearly he's hell-bent trying on to get somewhere. Get in his way. Stay seated. He makes his way to Jenny. He asks her to stay, offers her the part of the Saxon princess, invites her to dinner at the South Seas Club. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the places she mm-hmm. listed to Cliff sure, that she sure, wanted sure. to go. Yeah, uh, And of course she accepts. Cut two. we're back at the airstrip and it is the air race. <laughs> and again, this is a just this fascinating... Time in uh, Americana, right, where, where this was a thing. And um, the horrible cartoon planes, uh, <laughs> you know, is kind of capturing that same era of air racing and the, in this, uh, this era of flight. But um, mm-hmm. Valentine and his men are there. Um, they're, they've searched the hangar. They, they didn't find the jet pack, but they did find Jenny's picture. So in a little stretch of uh, logic, we'll, we'll accept that they make the connection. So uh, Valentine orders his men to find her as this potential link to the rocket's location. Um, Cliff should have been in the plane doing the old clown deal, mm-hmm. but instead Malcolm is up in that. Clearly, to again, he's part of the crew, yeah. wants to help out. Cliff and Peavy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just but, a bit too uh, shell-shocked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been 25 years since he's flown, and Peavy and Cliff already also said that this particular plane is definitely not up to snuff. That's right. Right. And, in fact, we see that as the engine begins failing, right? So it begins stalling. Uh, Cliff does his Superman running through the crowd. This is all very yeah. Superman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I loved it. It was so great. And that's not a dig to say it that way, right? Like, it's it's... It's perfectly evocative of that feel of I got to make my way out of this crowd so I can, you know, turn into my secret identity and and and, and save the day. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I love that PV knows what's happening, like he follows him. What are you doing? What does it look like I'm doing? Come on, give me a hand. No, Cliff, no, for God's sake, we haven't tested enough. Look what you did to Lucky Give me, cut it out, cut it out. I'm scared enough as it is. But but it, but the scene also, again, it kind of gets to the heart of, like, who is Cliff, uh, Cliff Secord? He is somebody who will happily throw himself into danger if it means saving somebody that that is he means a lot to him and that that he cares about consequences be damned is kind of sure. close to of course kind of way of going about these things yeah, yeah. you know it's it's steve rogers <laughs> meant um morality on a small scale mm-hmm. he'll do those things for the people he knows and not because he doesn't dislike the other people but just he thinks in terms of these people around me are the people i care about steve will do that for his nation, right? That's mm-hmm. the, the only... It's just a difference of scale, really. Yeah. So we yeah. see the Rocketeer flying for the first time. Clearly a green screen effect. It's 91. It yeah. holds up, I think. It actually yeah. pretty good. It was great. There was a couple of times I'm like, uh, well... Especially, like, the fact that it's flying through the air and all that. It's fairly new that they're doing this kind of stuff. I mean, Superman did it the most, but in, after that, they kind of... Didn't really use that technology. I thought it looked great. The scene itself is great. The the plane's failing. The rocketeer Cliff has you know not yet named, but the rocketeer makes contact with it by mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately popping up through the bottom of the the plane's uh, shell. Um, Malcolm passes out <laughs> from shock. Well, he I guess. he he gets startled, and then in trying to like hastily pull the plane up, rips the now loose like searing column out and knocks himself out with it. That okay. I thought it was shock. Okay, yep. that makes a lot more no, sense. It's, okay. it's a one-two punch of this strange no, he helmeted man yeah. punching through the bottom of his plane, saying his name, and then him literally knocking himself out with the with the the, the stick. So this scene, it, it's kind of fun, right? So he's got like a number of attempts to basically he's got to figure out he he's trying to revive Malcolm, right? Like Malcolm, wake up! You wake up and land the plane. Um, he's got a couple different approaches. It's a it's a good sequence. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, in the end, Malcolm is out, uh, but uh, the Rocketeer is able to grab him and essentially pluck him out of the plane right before it crashes into a gas Cliff tank. Comes around, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know, basically drops him carefully and then uh, rockets off as all of the reporters um, rushes off to their to, to to their respective trying to get them first in the phone booth to try to get the scoop that's right. on this that's on this right. mysterious right. rocket rocket man rocket boy who's going around that's right a funny thing that is happening also in the background during this entire sequence I- is that Bigelow very much clearly not wanting to lose the audience that is there who's starting to panic <laughs> and seeing yeah. a plane start to go down and please clear the field please clear the field what are you out of your mind Ladies and gentlemen, uh, well, I guess we had your fool there for a minute, but it's it's all part of the show. He's not a bad right. guy, which is kind of against type for John Polito, right? Mm-hmm. So typically he shows up, you know that he's ordering somebody to get killed, but mm-hmm. uh, he's not here. He's just, he's a businessman, and I don't see him as a bad guy. I just see him as he wants to make sure his business is okay. He's a bad guy, but he's not a th- threat to the livelihood or the life if he's of a bad guy it's a small like b neville sinclair small would be yeah he's not a <clears throat> villain 
He might be a bad person. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's fair. No, he's that's a fair. bad guy. He's not a villain. There you go. That's perfect. Uh, I do love it. I forgot how much I love this line when watching this as a kid when he's having trouble after saving Malcolm and he goes to the cornfield <laughs> and all the corn goes flying and the two farmers are standing and the one guy goes, big gopher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately comes to crash in a pond, and luckily PV is able to meet him there before anyone else can get to him. But literally, the re- mm-hmm. like the you know the people have followed this you know the this the jet to the contrail through the sky, mm-hmm. um, but they get away before they're able yeah. to identify him. Right, because they think it's the reporters, but it's actually the mob. Right. Oh, that's right, that's right. It's actually Eddie Valentine. So and it's his real boys. good that they left. Yeah. Uh, so we see Bigelow and the trope of what will we name this person? Oh, why don't you just call him Rocket Boy? Nah, that's lousy. What about the Rocket Man? That's worse. The, what about Missile Man? Now nah, that stinks. Come on, Bigelow, give us a better name. Come on, yeah. Bigelow. Oh, come on. How about Rocketeer? Newspapers cover the story. You know, it's a headline immediately. Um, Sinclair's reading about it. He fumes back with Howard Hughes. He chastises Fitch and Wooly. We see this burned out husk of the vacuum cleaner. Thanks to the diligence of the FBI, this particular vacuum cleaner will not fall into the wrong hands. So they go to question Bigelow. Um, but when they get there, his office has been ransacked. They find the impression on a notepad of an address, 1625 Palm Terrace. We'll Next to Bigelow's that- folded body. Yes, that's right. That's right. right. Yeah, Jesus. Um, So we go there. It's PV's, of course. And as PV's working on improving the designs for the the rocket pack, Lothar arrives just as Cliff gets there. Mm. And we've got this, I would call it a fight, except... They're never a threat to Lothar. Like <laughs> it's it's literally PV just like grabbing everything he can throw and trying to hit Lothar in his heavily prosthetic face, <laughs> <Yes>. and it <laughs> just bounces off his. And he's just like more perplexed than anything that he's trying to fight back like this. But luckily for Cliff and PV, the FBI arrive. There's they they call mm-hmm. out to the house from the outside, and Lothar. Uh, makes the bold choice to fire from inside the house. Mm-hmm. Not sure what he thought was going to happen, but of course, every FBI agent and cop outside opens fire. So, and for a seven foot tall <laughs> dude, uh, the FBI have yeah, yeah they're, just, they're just hoping to hit whatever they can, and he manages to take out at least like two or three of them with his with his <laughs> pistols, yes. while, while while making his way sideways, like crab walking his way. Like out the back door. Weren't Tommy Guns notoriously terrible for like yeah for, for like accuracy. actual shooting? So yeah. I guess they were some, like shotguns. They yeah, were close accuracy. quarters mm-hmm. weapons. Yeah, and they and they also jammed a lot, didn't they? Because of the circular that I chamber. Know, but wouldn't surprise. I thought me. they did, or maybe that's just a trope <laughs> yeah. in movies. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Caleb from Night Shift Radio. If you love spooky stories as much as I do, but maybe aren't entirely sure that you believe in the paranormal, then you'll enjoy the newest Night Shift Radio original, Possibly Normal. Twice a month, we tell a true story of possible paranormal encounters from the perspective of the person who witnessed the events. In these stories, we offer no attempted explanation, only the truth as it was observed. So join me as Night Shift Radio presents Possibly Normal, starting January 2022, wherever you listen to podcasts. Lothar does manage to grab the blueprints that PV was uh, working with. He flees. Cliff and PV yep. grab the jetpack and they flee. So mm-hmm. the house is empty. Hello, Neville. Hello, Clark. 
Sinclair and Jenny are on their dinner date at the South Seas Club. And again, it is, even if <laughs> Ooh, we didn't creepy. know he Ooh. was a villain. Yeah, right? Like, yeah, we don't know. He, well, I mean, we know he's we a don't villain, know the extent but quite yet. Yeah. Right now, he's, he's just, just, he's just scum, kind of, yeah, yeah he's, he's a just scumbag. a creepy praying, like a creepy dude, an actor <clears throat> preying upon this, this young woman. Uh, we we in, are introduced to W.C. Fields. We sure uh, are. Guy doing a great job. <laughs> for, He's funny. For no, real re- for no other reason than to help <laughs> establish the era. Neville! <laughs> you old scallywag! <laughs> Hello, Phil. How are you? In case you forgot, yeah. it's 1938. Right. Uh, and and uh, they're listening to the dulcet tones of Jan from The Office. When they begin the beginning. Sure are. Oh, my God. It's That's Jan who the, she was. Yeah, yeah Melora. Yeah. Oh and my Laura, yeah. god! Bonus, I, I, I uh, looked unlike, at her like I feel like I should know who that is. Mm-hmm. Unlike Lothar's ADR, that is her singing. She's actually classically trained. Yes. What? Mm-hmm. She got to sing in the uh, the Threat Level uh, Midnight. Yeah, level That's midnight. also her singing. Yeah. Yeah. Melora Hardin. Which, if you have Peacock, they release the entire Threat Level Midnight as a mm-hmm. half an hour episode, mm-hmm. and it is. Fucking terrible, <laughs> but but good at the same time. Like she it's so is a good. stunningly beautiful woman, uh, and it's can sing. So I hate what they did to her character. Yeah, though, in the office. Yeah, they but, really just kind of got away. Got get got away from them. We don't really know what to do with you, so we'll absolutely just make crazy. you absolutely yeah. batshit yeah, crazy. But, yeah, but uh, I, I I love the. I She's love wonderful, the ride, but though. but I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> it got a little much near the end. Uh, now. Uh, W.C. Fields also uh, um, entertains Jenny for a bit as Sinclair is summoned away from the table. Uh, this is clearly Valentine's Club, and he's reporting uh, in basically what they found to Sinclair. Now, Cliff and PV have uh, made their way to the the Big Dog Cafe the, or the Big Bulldog, Dog Diner, yeah. mm-hmm. Bulldog mm-hmm. Diner, uh, in the attic. Right, they're listening to the radio, um, and they've got this. Kind of a difference of perspective. Call the FBI. We get rid of this damn thing. PV, the FBI's going to lock us up. They think we were shooting at them. What do you think was going on at the house? Malcolm opens up the hatch from below. We just come from the airfield. It's Bigelow. What about him? His office is crawling with cops. Somebody tore up his place like they were looking for something. Yeah, so? They killed him. And at this point, now Cliff is convinced. I'll make the call. As he comes downstairs to make the call from the payphone in the diner... Hey kids, payphones were phones <laughs> affixed to a wall that you would put a, a, well, probably not even a dime at this point, probably a nickel at this, but you know, small yeah. change into to make a phone call. Uh, as he kids, change yeah. is yeah. Uh, pieces of metal that we carry around that signify d- delineations of currency. That's right. That's right. So as Cliff is making the call to the FBI, these tough types that are posing as FBI agents enter the diner. Cliff's radar goes off, and he kind of fakes the phone call and hangs up. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'll be home soon, honey. I love you, too. Okay, wise Of course, they are Valentine's men. They are looking for this Cliff C-cord, and everyone in the diner plays dumb. C-cord. Oh, yeah, I know him. Short fella. Gimpy leg. Those are the friends that'll help you bury the body, right? Like that mm-hmm. crew, <laughs> even, you know, Malcolm's screw up with, you know, the, revealing the crash. These guys are ride or die guys. Right? Yeah. Another, another movie set roughly in this era, uh, who, who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's yep. when Judge Doom comes to the diner. Yeah. 
yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. to the bar, they're all the one guy pretends that it's uh, Harvey the Rabbit instead of Roger mm-hmm. Rabbit. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so as the the mobsters are um, you know trashing the diner, intimidating all the uh, everyone there, they bring PV into the back. They threaten him. You know, going to press his face down onto the grill. Where's Jesus. Cliff? Where's Cliff? Um, the leader of them spots a doodle next to the payphone that has Jenny's name and a phone number. Look at here, boys. Lady Luck left her phone number. In the appropriate for the time, two letters, four numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. H, it's like H O or something, and then four numbers. Um, which I and that feel would like have had a that would have had a name. Um, the Simpsons, it's Klondike Five because mm-hmm. five 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 is every. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, they all had uh, like a weird name that went with them. I, I have no idea why. I think it was just a mnemonic device, right? So so I think up until the 60s, up until the 60s, it, it would be like two letters. And you would just pick mm-hmm. pick words like, like um, horn, you know, horn owl 4213 or whatever. Um, Madison Avenue, one, two, three, mm-hmm. four. Sure, yeah. would be M mm-hmm. A, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The gangster calls the number, looking for Jenny. Of course, it rings to the boarding house. Bye. Hello. Hello. This is the uh, florist. I've got a lovely bouquet of flowers here for uh, Jenny. Who sent him flowers? Cliff Secord. Oh, is that right? That's right. Well, tell him he's too late because she's gone to the South Seas Club with Mr. Neville Sinclair. They can't believe their luck. They know they're they're working for Sinclair. So mm-hmm. the the leader and one other guy uh, leave to go report into Valentine. The other three stay. Now um, the number work here is not great. <laughs> Two guys watching seven guys, I believe, are in this. Mm-hmm. But they have people, guns, roughly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Clearly, it works out well for them because they're overpowered very <laughs> easily in a minute. It's not just the gun; it's the theoretically the willingness to use the gun right it's that mm, yeah, threat that's of i'm willing to shoot you right? sure yeah and a, and a handful of these mobsters are that guy actors the one that puts together in a second the picture of jenny with yep. cliff is he's played a cop in a bunch of stuff maybe one of the lethal weapon movies mm. he's been in a shit ton of stuff you're 100 right they're definitely that guy actors but uh you know like i said they are overpowered uh, Cliff decides it, he'll get there quicker if he takes the rocket. They discover that there's a hole in the rocket from the gunfight that just ensued. And I'd like to call this Chekhov's gum. Oh, <laughs> well played. Well played. Oh, so good. Well played. At the club, again, if you weren't creeped out earlier, uh, Sinclair is in the full court press on Jenny. So ugh, I'm going to go wash up. <laughs> Uh, Cliff arrives, he breaks into the back of the club, um, stashes the rocket in a laundry room, changes into a server's uniform. I'm like, does not, wait a minute, does not change. I love this costuming detail. Yeah, yeah, he puts it on over (laughs) what he's wearing because (laughs) when he's running out later, he just takes off the service jacket and he has his jacket But you can also see it when he first walks in. I'm like, how are you moving? You must be like, may I take your order? (laughs) (laughs) He's like Frankenstein. Such a lovely uh, costuming detail there that Cliff doesn't take Mm -hmm. the time to take his coat off. He just puts another coat over it. It's a funny little bit um as sinclair is clearly pressing jenny for information about cliff uh, uh-huh. cliff makes his way to their table and we get this 
delightful little exchange where Jenny is not acknowledging that that's Cliff, but starts <laughs> talking shit about him to mm-hmm. Sinclair, but really to mm-hmm. Cliff. He completely missed the runway. I don't know why the real pilots even let him fly. Really good. I, I love when he spills the soup just everywhere because he's trying to listen in and obviously <laughs> is not a waiter. I just love his... You worked here long. Oh, yes. I waited on you last time. My favorite, my favorite is after he has poured the soup and like slipped Jenny the note in the soup uh, to go meet, to meet him over by the big fish. Um, that right. he's he's clearly very quickly realized that he's run out of his busy work that he could do to try to cover for the fact that he's going to stand here and listen in. So he just starts awkwardly trying to like arrange like the three branches of flowers they have on the table he, before ultimately just leaving. I, I do love it. Just a, I'm just going to real quick. And this, he, and he looks up to see Stewie down the staring at him, and he's like, "Oh yeah." And then just awkwardly like spills the drink on, on Jenny to try to like get her like uh, an excuse to leave. Yep, spills what's left in her champagne glass, but also like pours the champagne on her too. It's it's <laughs> mm-hmm. so funny. Uh, so uh, she does leave. She confronts him. He explains what's happening. Tells her that she's in danger, and he has the big reveal. I'm the Rocketeer. The Rock of Who? And you can see like the, the wind come out of his sails. He's like. Come on, man. I'm the Rocketeer. Come on. It's also a trope now. Like, you say who you are and nobody knows yeah. it. Yeah, it's like, I don't know it's who that is. Yeah. But again, 91, this is new. Yeah, before and it, everything. I, it's, it's very fresh. funny. And yeah, it works. It works. Yeah. Uh, he tells her to go to her mom's, which she had already, you know, kind of shared her backstory with Sinclair. So that's not going to be helpful. Um, she leaves out the front, narrowly missing Lothar, who's coming in. Cliff does not miss Lothar. He bumps right into him, um, and we get what can only be called a hijinks chase through the club. Mm-hmm. Yes, which mm-hmm. is yes. fun. With, with, with yeah, with him awkwardly trying to like fly in low altitude around this club. Yes, and like setting tables on fire. He ends up. Like riding what I think is supposed to be an ice sculpture of a snail. Yes, uh, <laughs> it absolutely that, like, is. <laughs> that it skims out the front door. Jenny comes back in, and let's not unpack this too much. But <laughs> Neville just happens to have chloroform on him. Oh yeah, he's ready to go. He was that, that was fuck? always the plan. Apparently, uh, I'm not sure if you're just like grab that familiar with the not, uh, with the the Me Too movement. I think I think he just <laughs> he's like oh I could oh I could also use it for this. I think he back then you never you know chloroform is everywhere. Right. That's right. <laughs> to be fair, when they're at his mansion, she kind of like is like, do you have to drug all your women to seduce them? Holy yeah. shit, Jenny! He, he doesn't say no. Yeah, like, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> He yeah. does not. Well, again, Cliff manages to conveniently fly out of the skylight that happens to be at the top That's of the right. club after they've locked the doors thinking they've caught him and thrown a net on him. Yep. Um, and <laughs> he so he, he flies at the top. Jenny gets chloroformed. Um, <laughs> the next we see of her is probably just the final few nails in the coffin of Neville Sinclair at all being any kind of a yeah. good guy. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So she wakes up in a bedroom, clearly in his manor uh, mansion. He enters. She pretends that she's still sleeping. He breaks the smelling salts. Well, not breaks. He uncorks the smelling salts under her nose. She wakes up. Mm-hmm. He tries playing the victim. They're blackmailing me. And there's this wonderful... I, I thought it was a really clever bit. He's trying to seduce, convince, persuade her, but he's using all of these lines 
that he said in movies. And tonight when we danced, I felt something move inside me. I felt it tear loose and take flight. And of course she recognizes mm-hmm. and calls him out on every single one. You said that to Greta Garbo. It's mm-hmm. at least three times he does it and every single time mm-hmm. she's got his number. It's just really funny. But I love that that doesn't clue in Neville that maybe she's pretending to. He's so egocentric that that he, he wouldn't pick yeah. up on the fact that <laughs> so she true. might be acting better than he is. He's egocentric but also as been scientifically proven, the male body only has enough blood to either power the brain <laughs> or an erection. So he's thinking with his dumb stick right now. Leads her over to the closet full of women's negligee that he has. Again, um, which, 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 you know what? It's it's that thing where it's like we know that it's the creepy thing that he buys this to slip women into after he chloroforms them. And and like my my first thought on rewatching this was I was like I genuinely forget if she wakes up in negligee or not. Because they, they at least want to be like, no, 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 she's still in the dress. He's not such a creep that he would undress her when she's unconscious. He, he, she's in the dress. Yeah, he just, she's in the he dress. just, he just yeah. wants to change her into the negligee he already has ready to go. Uh, would you like a chlorophrobe? Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, would, you, would you like the sheer pink or the sheer black? Yeah. Does this yeah, uh, rag smell right. like chloroform to you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So she does outfox him. She offers uh, to change. She steps into the closet, asks him to help her with the <laughs> zipper. And as he makes his move, you know, knocks him over the head with a vase. He's knocked out. And she now is going to make her escape. I finally played a scene with Neville Sinclair. She makes her way through the mansion. Lothar is eating a meal in the living room. <laughs> she avoids him. She finds his little inner sanctum. She sees the blueprints that Lothar grabbed. There's a a shortwave radio there. She gets on it calling for help and is responded by a man speaking German. Well, that's not good. For anyone in the audience who didn't realize that Germans (laughs) were bad in 38... Uh, there's yeah. also a little black book with the Nazi symbol and the Iron Eagle on it. And you're just like, oh, mm-hmm. he's a... A what? Spy. Saboteur. Fascist. He's a Nazi. <laughs> he's a fucking Nazi. <laughs> so Cliff returns to the diner. Everyone is gone except for Patsy, the little girl. Valentine calls the phone in the diner. Cliff answers it, puts Jenny on the phone. You want to see your girlfriend? you got to bring us the rocket. Griffith Observatory, 4 a.m., by the statues. And come alone, or we're going to have to kill a girl. Fitch and Wooly enter. They take Cliff into custody. But he has stashed the rocket pack, so it's only him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're at Howard Hughes' office. PV is explaining the modifications he was making to the, to the rocket it- pack. Delightful it's, scene. It's yeah. uh, Bruce Banner and Tony Stark uh, in yeah, the yeah, helicopter. Yeah. They're yes. like, let's nerd out. <laughs> All I did was bypass the pressure valve, and that solved your throttle problem. But adding a rudder to the helmet, that was ingenious. So Fitch and Wooly bring Cliff in. They tell him that he wouldn't reveal the location of the rocket pack. Um, and then Hugh Hughes really does a great job of explaining, listen, forget the FBI. Like, here's what... Here's why you need to understand which side you you, you got to make a choice. Um, he he says that they improved on the original German design and they've got this footage that it cost you know the trope of the many, Star Wars many many you know. Bontons yeah many Bontons died for this information <laughs> that's right um, and we get this great little um, propaganda film clip of clearly Germany's 
design the rock, you know, the core of rocket men flying over the U.S. Capitol, taking over. And, you know, that's the the American Eagle becomes the Iron Eagle with the Nazi symbol. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. This is this is the beginning of my questioning is, is it okay to show violent deaths of people in this movie? If they are Nazis, absolutely. Because is, apparently, is the rule. yes, is that <laughs> the person yeah. wearing the the German jetpack? That is a very violent death brutal. for that person. Yeah. And I'm like, but it's okay because he's a Nazi. You know, I wonder to what extent John Favreau that was Iron inspiration Man for Iron Man Two, right? Sure. In the hearing, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, while Hughes is making the case that like you got to give us the rocket pack, this is what we're up against. Cliff explains that Jenny's being held hostage. I'll give you a rocket back. Tomorrow, I swear. Hughes shares that there's clearly some shadowy figure behind this. They suspect someone very high up in Hollywood, but they just can't find him. It's Neville Sinclair. To which I am disappointed (laughs) by Wooly's response. You believe that somebody high up in Hollywood, but you don't believe that it could be Sinclair? You like? Yeah, sure, it makes perfect sense. That's why I was bossing Eddie's men around at the South Seas Club. That's why he has Jenny. <laughs> nice try, kid. We're taking him downtown and we're locking him up. You got all the way to the edge, and then you just wouldn't take that last mm-hmm. step to get there. <sighs> yeah. So Cliff escapes. He jumps out of the window. He grabs a prototype of a plane that's on uh, a hangar uh, on a line. It's the Spruce Moose. Yep, the Spruce Goose. Goose. Oh, yeah. Spru- sorry, yes. Spruce Moose yeah, Spruce is, Goose. Uh, is it's Simpsons. Is Simpsons? Yeah, mm-hmm. no. yeah. Oh, I, I thought you were. Uh, it's Justin the but Spruce on, Moose. On, yeah, on the, so. on the uh, <laughs> Simpsons, they did an episode yeah, where Burns spe- mm-hmm. pretty much yeah. becomes Howard Hughes, and he makes a little monologue. I called it the Spruce Moose. It'll hold eight hundred mm-hmm. people in tra- And uh, Smith is like, "Oh, it's a wonderful model." So he goes, "Model." And it's only like this yeah. big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yes, yeah, so, but he, yes. he he grabs onto the the model of Spruce Goose, just glides on out of there. And again, Howard Hughes, instead of being mad at this instance, son of a bitch will fly. Yeah, he, all his <laughs> anger leaves. We're like, oh shit, it flies! Yay! <laughs> it's pure happiness there, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, he's really enjoying that moment. Uh, so we're at the observatory, oh. of course. Valentine, Sinclair, Lothar, all of the goons. They have Jenny there, and. Uh, Cliff lands. He tells Valentine that Sinclair is a Nazi spy. Historically accurate. I may not make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American. And I don't work for no two-bit Nazi. This actually happened. When gangsters would find out that there were Nazis doing things, they would go to the FBI and be like, hey, there are Nazis. Here, here they are. Come get them out of our country. Yeah. It's such a cool little history lesson there. So there was a Marvel DC crossover oh boy. Um, from my favorite, mm-hmm. John Byrne. Mm-hmm. It was Batman and Captain America. There's a famous scene in which the Joker basically says to the Red Skull, like, that's just a shtick, right? And Red Skull's like, no, 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 I'm really a Nazi. And the Joker is horrified and turns on the Red Skull because there's two things that the Joker will not fuck with. Nazis and the IRS. Yep. And <laughs> it's so funny. That reference, I just saw that like three days ago on Reddit. Somebody was asking the question, I think the comic books uh, subreddit, about like basically, does Joker have limits? Yes. And I went in there <clears throat> to reference that. That story, and like three other people had already shared it. I was like, Yeah, this, uh, there's nothing for me to do here. That yep. also happened on uh, Batman the Animated Series. The Joker was uh, behind on his taxes and he freaked out about that. He goes, That's I'll fight Batman, but the IRS. That's the IRS. And of course, Valentine is horrified. He will not work for a Nazi. Right. He orders Jenny released. Um, but I had 
probably 10 seconds of what the fuck because Sinclair a squad of Nazi soldiers appear and I'm like where the fuck did they come from until the Zeppelin comes over I'm like oh well fucking played Mm -hmm. well played and then Sinclair drops his put upon English accent to instead really show that he is a Nazi and start speaking in a German accent. I forgot this little layer of the character. Mm-hmm. It, and it doesn't really show up until they're on the Zeppelin and he's yeah. he, it's the exchange with Jenny. Mm-hmm. He yes. says, this yep. is a girl. And I'm like, yeah. wait, is he supposed to be? Oh, he's a nun. Yeah. yeah. And he, so, he's not a British person who sympathized. Yeah. He's a German spy who infiltrated. Yeah. 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 Which. It's unfortunate because the one actor that looks like discount um, the guy from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the one mm-hmm. Nazi that's in there, mm-hmm. he he <laughs> keeps yelling him in German. But at one point, he says he's an actor with a German accent. accent. You would not yeah. say actor; you would say actor. actor you know, yeah. and it's like, uh, somebody yeah. can somebody yeah. fix this? <laughs> can you fix it in post? Come on. This is the FBI. Throw down your guns. Shoot him. No. The FBI shows up. Luckily, uh, and an all-out firefight erupts between the Nazis, the gangsters, and the FBI. I do love the shot of Valentine and the one FBI agent opening yes, fire. The Nazis yes, like kind of looking yes, at each yes. other with their Tommy guns, just be like, "All right," and it's like, yeah, yeah. "That's right." The enemy of my <laughs> enemy right. is my mm-hmm. friend. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's that's it's right, right there. Right. It's so good. But again. The only people you see get mowed down in this scene very violently for this PG movie are Nazis. I'm like, okay. I'm okay with it. I'm okay. I mean, fuck Nazis. But I was just like, should this have a 13 at the end of its rating? This is pretty violent for PG. (laughs) Not then. Yeah. So uh, Lothar and Sinclair drag Jenny up to the top of the observatory where the Zeppelin has dropped its rope ladder. The three of them make their way up into the Zeppelin. And it begins to leave. Sinclair is confident, right? Like, there's the rocket! We've got the girl. The rocket will come to us. And sure enough, it does. We've got this, like, the iconic shot of the rocketeer atop the observatory next to the waving flag. Great shot, right? This is the shot that got Joe uh-huh. Johnson, Captain America, right there. Pure yep. Americana. It's so yep, rad. 100%. Uh, and, of course, Cliff takes off uh, after the Zeppelin. He snags a line on the exterior of the Zeppelin, ripping the, the canvas of the rudder. So now the, the Zeppelin's ability to control its flight has been compromised. Uh, he tries mm-hmm. making his way from the top of the Zeppelin down into it. But as he gets to the hatch, Lothar pops up um, and fight. And a great and, moment where... Yeah, Cliff, yeah, Cliff is polite enough to allow <laughs> yes. Lothar to take a second... And put on his belt that is attaching him to the Zeppelin so that he doesn't fall off when Mm -hmm. he's fighting him. That's right. That's very nice. Very kind. Uh, Now, Cliff has a a pistol, Ruger, uh, Luger from the the, the Nazis, uh, but he loses it in the fight. He gets knocked off the Zeppelin. He comes flying around and, you know, knocks Lothar off, who's 
you know, tied to the Zeppelin, swings like a pendulum into the cockpit, breaking the front window, <laughs> surprising the pilot who does the, ah! and throws himself essentially backwards out of the cockpit uh, to his death. My favorite part of that is that it is preceded, the interim of those two events is preceded by Sinclair turning to one of the Nazi officers who's in the Zeppelin with him. Do not worry, Herr Sinclair. My pilot is the finest in Germany. We are in very capable hands. He will not let us down. Wings in and knocks him out the open window and he falls to his death. All right, we'll get the second best. Yeah. Also, maybe I don't know my history well enough, but is Nazi glass really shitty? Like, I feel like someone yeah, sneezes and yeah, one of those panes just breaks. Gone, yeah. Well, safety glass is a... Is a pla- you know, it's a plastic film. Mm. So I'll bet you that technology didn't God, exist. I'm yeah, just trying fair. to make fun of the Nazis. Why are you stepping on my joke? <laughs> okay. Damn yeah. it, man. Okay. <laughs> Come on, man. Come Fuck on, man. Nazis. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh so we we get the fight in the flying in the cockpit of the flying wing. Captain from America. Yeah, again. Captain America yeah. the first Avenger. Right. I mean you see you <laughs> right? see all the stuff that like Paramount, it wouldn't have even been Disney at the time. Paramount smartly sure. went mm-hmm. and said, Joe Johnson needs to direct this movie. Mm-hmm. But even like the like the bear, like the metal struts and the look of that feel yeah, it's yeah, yeah. The 100%. jumping around from levels on the cockpit, uh, all of it. It's all right from First Avenger. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's great. Uh, the fight ensues. Uh, it ends up uh, the other members of the crew are, you know, basically thrown out of the cockpit. Mm-hmm. It's Jenny, Cliff, and Sinclair. Uh, Jenny fires a flare gun that goes carooming around the cockpit. Um, the Zeppelin's in trouble. Sinclair's confident. He's got the rocket pack. He's, you know, he's basically, he had Jenny at gunpoint, tells Cliff to slide it over. Mm-hmm. Cliff sets it down. Keeps his gum, mm-hmm. slides it over. Uh, so as Sinclair, you know, suits up, uh, Cliff actually essentially offers him a. For God's sake, Sinclair, help us get these flames out. Goodbye, Jenny. Sinclair, of course, says no way. I wish I could take you this way. Everything about you is a lie. It wasn't lies, Jenny. It was acting. Takes off. Right before he takes off, he says, "I'll miss Hollywood." Well, no, you won't. Yep. Uh, technically. <laughs> He does. He yeah. He hits land. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> In a horrible fireball, he he goes up <laughs> quick. And again, canonically in this timeline, it is because of this falling, flaming ball of Nazi that yeah. Hollywood becomes Hollywood and not Hollywood Land. Yes. That might be the best line of the season so far. This flaming, <laughs> flaming ball, falling of ball of Nazi. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, and, of course, uh, the Zeppelin starts to go up in flames. Uh, poor Luthor. Luthor. Not Luthor. <laughs> Lothar. Lothar is uh, still attached. So he goes up in, again, horrible flames. Nazi sympathizer. So, okay, I guess it works. We're good with that. And we get the the... Everybody's favorite movie cliche, if there's a Nazi flag, it has to catch on fire at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, okay with that? I'm okay uh, with that, yeah. PV and Hughes show up in the plane helicopter thing. Was this a real thing? Yeah, I feel it. like I've seen pictures of it. I don't think it flew. Okay. Did it? I don't know. I don't, know. I don't fucking but yeah, know. But they, 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 got, they get their one pass to catch... Cliff and Jenny as they jump off the exploding Zeppelin. And unfortunately, they don't. Uh, 
Cliff and Jenny go yeah, up they just with the horrible, Zeppelin. Yeah, they just, all of it. Yeah, <laughs> really all of them. Fucking yeah, dark it's, it's, it's a horrible. They roll credits too. Like it's not even like a resolution. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just Howard Hughes Somber and, and PB sure. just yeah. looking down there like Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Directed by Joe Johnston. Um, <laughs> That's right. That's right. Is up. So morning at the diner, PV's reading the newspaper covering Sinclair's tragic death in this uh, explosion, right? So again, uh, people don't know the truth, or at least uh, it's not being uh, reported. Sure. Uh, Hughes and Cliff are talking about the rocket. Hughes leaves. He's re- he's uh, He gives him the repaired GB. Uh, no, not, not the same one. A no, new a, one. A, new, a, a new GB. Sure. Cliff's kind of dumb. <laughs> It takes him until literally the person delivering it peels off the sticker to reveal the, like, pilot Cliff C chord sensed onto it before he realizes, oh, this is for me. <laughs> like, yes. big, lovable idiot Cliff. Like, come on, man. <laughs> it's right. They, he brought it in. He's not. <laughs> he's getting in a car. <laughs> he's not taking the plane with him. It's yours. <laughs> Jenny and Cliff embrace. They kiss as we hear a kid. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. I know we're right at the end, but Alan Arkin is such it's, a delight in this so moment. Clifford, take a look at this here. Here, look. I bet if we increase the manifold pressure up about 25% and then switch the fuel-to-air ratio, just favoring the fuel, just a little... Keeps looking, there's, and kind of looks around. He's, hey, Goose, you want to take a, take a look at here? We hear a kid yell... And man, what a what a great movie! That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy I watched that. Uh, I'm so glad you finally got to to see this movie. Great pick, Justin. Um, Really, really great pick. Yes, thank you for for helping us. You know, we we a little peek behind the podcast. We always fear these two episodes between Todd's birthday pick and mine because they're usually garbage. <laughs> so I went to Todd and I'm like, "Hey, we've got Justin who wants to do the Rocketeer, and we'll say in a second what the next one is um, because surprise, it's going to be another one that we picked. Why don't we just do those and have a good four episodes <laughs> yeah. in a row? Where we don't have to worry about it being anything nice bad." Because, mind you, just a couple episodes ago, we did The Crow 3 Salvation. So we deserved Mm. a little bit of eye bleach. Mm. And thank you. Yes. I believe it was when we pulled that. I was like, can we we fix it (laughs) so that we don't have to do anything so bad? (laughs) Uh, So, yes. Thank you. But before we go any further, we have some questions. Mm. Um, Hey, Justin, who was your favorite character? See, this is this is hard. Like, because like really, like genuinely speaking, like all the characters in this movie are great, and they all serve a really good purpose. Sure. They're all acted really well. They all have a really clear and like again, like it's it's just like you know, like Neville Sinclair's a great like like mustache twirling villain. It's like it's just a yeah. creep you can absolutely hate a hundred percent and not feel bad about. Not worry about any kind of pathos. I still, I have to say, I think my favorite character of the whole movie might be Lothar. I just, there's something about, <laughs> there's just something about the like the like <laughs> multitudes that are contained in this character that he's just a huge, seven foot tall dude, very nimble, 
He likes opera. He's very he's very exact about the way he likes the sandwiches prepared. Um, yeah. it's just it's just like and his people killed and, and yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's just like it's just like all the things that are like shown but not told about Lothar in this movie are fascinating, and it's like yeah. I would love to see a prequel that's just about how Lothar came to work with Neville Sinclair, and just like where like like where where they met, how how they got introduced. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would like that. So I think you're 100% right. I think you can you know, throw a rock and hit a character you love in this. I get Lothar. Uh, I think for me, I'm going to go with Cliff. I mean, it's the Rocketeer, and he gets mm-hmm. – he nails – he's not Captain America, but he's perfect. Yeah. And, yeah, I think for me it's huh. Cliff. How about you, Casey? Uh, for me, it is the you know the trifecta. I'm gonna say like uh, probably the three that people are gonna say the most. It's mm-hmm. Peavy. Mm-hmm. It's it's Alan Arkin. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah. All right, uh, Justin. What is the best scene in the movie? Hmm. I I think for my money, the best scene in this movie is. I mean, it, it, like it's it's a it's a big kind of climax. But I honestly think the entire like final sequence of the standoff at the Griffith Observatory and like the, the teaming up of the gangsters with, uh, with the FBI against the Nazis. And just like the final, the thing I love about the final fight is that it, 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 it's something that I think I come to now look for and appreciate that we don't get so much with the, the releases from the big two these days, which is like, it's not a huge bombastic, fight that is like sweeping across destinations and is like a huge and acrobatic. It's, it's very tight and very contained. It's a few thrown punches and then like the fight's over. Uh, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like the Indiana Jones thing. It's like, you're, you're not really ever going to see a huge knockdown drag out, like five minute fight sequence out of an Indiana Jones movie. The, the fights last exactly as long as they mm-hmm. need to last. Yeah. And, like right. and, and and it gets on because it's not about the fights; it's about the characters and the story that's being told. So I I, I think really like yeah like the last like fifteen minutes of this movie. I know it's 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 hard to say it's like a scene, but like I think I think this like that the sequence of it is really like my mm. favorite part of the movie, the best part. Yeah, I mean, again, this is the much like who's the favorite character. You know, throw a stone, you're going to hit a great scene mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, I think it's it's the Malcolm rescue. That whole like Establish- the heroes it's the call equivalent of first fight. It's first yeah, flight. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, first flight. Yeah. yeah, it's all of that right up until like when he lands, and you know, there's the the kind of you you get kind of how much of a dork. Um, Cliff kind of is when he lands in PV's area. She's like, I like it. And you're like, oh, all right, you almost died. Just take a second here. Hang on. But I, I yeah, that's the, it's, it's pure Joe Johnston. It's everything about it is great. Mm-hmm. The effects hold up. It's, it's so fun. Yep. Uh, yeah. And again, whatever anyone picked, I think you'd agree with. I, I'm actually in the same place as you, Justin. That whole, that closing of it is so satisfying. And you, you nail it perfectly. Sinclair's not hitting Cliff with the moon, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's squarely in this normal human realm, but really, really mm-hmm. satisfying. There's no moral ambiguity there, and it's and it works. It's just it it just executes. It does it really, really well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, Justin, what is, we've been talking about how wonderful every scene in this movie is. 
Is there anything you would cut? I, mm, that's hard because again, like Joe Johnson knows how to make a real snappy film, and this movie also doesn't really drag. There, there, there's some, there's some mm-hmm. sequences. I feel like the intercutting and stuff. I, I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel if, if there's one thing, I would maybe say that. I feel like the the clubs, the South Seas club scene, while like very important as like a turning point in the plot, I feel like it's like maybe like could could be like a little tightened up. I feel like it intercuts back to it a little too much. Like it could have just like been the scene, but like. I don't know. Like this is like it's it's really every. Not, there, I don't think there was like really a shot or a sequence wasted, and I feel like it, it all moves at a good enough pace. I don't know that I, I could. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, and it's not a short movie. It's like an hour forty yeah. with the credits, um, but it doesn't feel that long. And I I was thinking about this today, thinking like, you know, there are lots of places where they're going back and forth, or he goes back to the diner, or they go. But even with all that, it never feels like it drags. So I wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's nailed it. I think Joe Johnson knows how to put it together. It works. It moves where it moves. And I never was like, okay, let's let's move on. Mm-hmm. So I, there's nothing I would get rid of. Casey, what about you? The only moment where I thought about it, but then it cuts away so quickly, is when Jenny and Sinclair... The dance sequence starts mm. with them. I'm like, oh god, we're gonna get a full on <laughs> dance number. Yeah, oh, it's done. A- oh, okay, fine. Uh, the only thing that I would have cut if it had been in the movie. Apparently, they shot a scene where Sir Claire talks to the Nazis using a actual uh, Enigma machine. Like they found one that was <laughs> used during the war, <laughs> and for some reason they cut the scene. I think it's just because it just gives away that he's a Nazi yeah. sooner. So I'm I'm okay with that yeah. being cut. Yeah. The reveal's good. The reveal's yeah. good. It makes sense. The reveal is yeah. perfect. Um, and again, I I'll bet you we're going to be circling around the the group here as well. But Justin, your best uh, thoughts on the actor having the most fun? I mean, I I, I think I got to say Timothy Dalton. I think it's I think it's it's <laughs> like everyone is really giving in dutiful performances and like. They're all playing the parts well, and like Alan Arkin's being Alan Arkin, and so it's hard to say if like he's necessarily like having the most fun with it. But I think it's Timothy Dalton's having a lot of fun. Just getting he gets to be Errol Flynn. He gets to like do all. He gets to show off that he can sword fight. He gets to you know show off all this stuff. He gets a lot of good monologues. He gets to show off his dialect yeah. work. Uh, you know, it's it's. <laughs> I think I think Timothy Dalton's really kind of enjoying this one. Yeah, it's it's Dalton. I mean, honorable mention for Alan Arkin just because I enjoy mm-hmm. him as an actor, but he's not doing anything out of his outside of his right. wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, so it's a clean sweep. It's it's Timothy Dalton. He gets to do all that stuff, and he doesn't have the pressure of being the hero, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's right. always more fun right. being the villain. Oh yeah. Right? So. Yeah. All right. So once again, the IMDb score for this movie was a six point five out of ten. Justin, in any measure you'd like to assess it how do you rate this movie overall uh i mean i think i I think i would give this movie like a solid eight or nine out of ten i I think it's it's really like it's i'm i'm always constantly surprised at how well like the the flying effects hold up when when they get to the sequences where he's flying it doesn't look too rotoscoped or too like obviously like like put upon um Mm -hmm. the the writing is really good and like is like sincerely delivered in earnest. There isn't anybody 
phoning it in. There really isn't like again, like the, the, it's 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 a it's a hour and forty eight minutes, but it, it's tight and it, and it moves, and the characters are great and the story is fun and it's it's yeah, it's like I said, it, it's 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 a movie that I I know for sure we wouldn't have Captain America, the first Captain America movie, without this movie. I think I think I think I think there's kind of a thing where. I don't. I mean, I can't speak to necessarily how like financially successful the Shadow or the Phantom were, but yeah. I, I know that they I were think not. yeah. But, but but I know that they I know were, that there's like a reason why this movie is still held in very good critical favor, uh, yeah. and, and and can still yeah. be returned to pretty easily. I, I I think I think it's it's very very solid. One of my favorites. Yeah, it's a nine. It, it, it totally is. It's, you know, and I, I put it at a nine because I realize this movie's not mm-hmm. for everybody. Mm-hmm. I get it. So, you know, I, I bet you we could go on to IMDb, read a negative review, and I'll go, yeah, I get that. Okay. Yeah, totally. It's fine. Um, it's just, it's so good. It's so well done. It doesn't, it doesn't drag. It doesn't do any of those things. Joe Johnston, this is very, very clearly a, a area that he is comfortable telling stories from. Um, yeah, it's a nine. It's, it's a solid, solid yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, I think that eight, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Yeah. Um, now the question we are often asked, um, <laughs> and if I remember correctly, Justin, you are, do I recall you are an uncle? Remember that? Uh, 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 Unofficially. You have an uncle-ish role? Yeah, yeah, uncle-ish role. Okay. Uh, So the question we're often asked, is this a movie you'd watch with kids? Yeah, absolutely. Your thoughts? I think think, think this is, again, like we were kind of saying, it's it's a movie from the the 90s, and, like, it's... It's a PG movie, and I feel like it doesn't really, like, push it really hard. Again, there's there's no real language to speak of. Like, it's, it's very scattered, and, like, Almost usually, typically muttered or very quickly glossed over. Um, mm-hmm. There's no like. While there are like violent bits, they all happen to Nazis, and like, <laughs> and nobody else seems to react to them in particular ways. It's like even it's a weird thing where like a man is folded in half, and yet <laughs> the newsreel footage is way worse. Like the the the, the footage of the Nazi exploding is way worse. Than that, sure. um, but no, yeah. I think yeah, I think this is absolutely a, a movie to watch that you can watch with kids. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I, I would I would give the caveat. I think, and especially through the lens of superhero movies that are available today, I think the challenge you're going to run into is it's not going to be entertaining enough for a kid, right? For a young kid mm-hmm. that would just like the action, there's not enough of it in a way that they would resonate with. Uh, and then, you know, really kind of requires, I think, an appreciation of that era that you're just not going to see. So nothing objectionable, but I'll bet you, you know, kids are which probably part of the reason why this was not a commercial success. Mm. Right. Mm. Sure. Um, all right. So, Casey, normally this would be where we normally go to Thor's we helmet, would, but we're not doing But that. we're not going to. We're not going to. Stop yelling, audience. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, instead... Instead of going into Thor's helmet, we're going to go into the Spider-Verse. That's right. We're going to watch Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And we're not going to do it alone. We're not. My cousin, Matt Ryan, is going to join us. Now, not Matt Ryan from the Constantine from Legends of Tomorrow. So calm down. We don't have that Matt Ryan. Um, 
But a Matt Ryan, uh, a wonderful human being, uh, you know, he's been a supporter of our show since episode one, wrote something on his Facebook page. I thanked him for it. And he just kind of offhandedly said, hey, when you get to uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, put me down for it. So he locked it in, you know, very early. Uh, it is one of his favorite movies. He he says it's uh, that, and I think Kubo and the Two String mm. did that come out the same th- year. Mm. He says th- those are the within a, at least within a year. Of the, those were his top two. Yeah. 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 Yeah, if if not the top two, like one year and then the next, he he puts those two movies in the same regard. So that's what we're gonna watch. It's gonna be uh, a blast because it's 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 yeah. a great movie. And uh, let's watch a trailer. Miles, yeah, gotta go. If you want me to drive you, we gotta go now. No, I'll walk. Personal chauffeur going once. It's okay. Seriously, Dad, walking would have been fine. Breaking news, Spider-Man saves the day again. Spider-Man. This guy swings in once a day, zip zaps off Nancy. Accountability. Speed up, speed up. You know, I know these kids. Ability. Man, you get arrested? Guys, don't cops run red lights? Well, yeah, some do. But, uh, not your dad. In your universe, there's only one Spider-Man. But there's another universe. It looks and sounds like yours, but it's not. My name's Miles Morales. Hey, kid. You're like me. How? I knew my day would come around this time. I know it's complicated. You want to know what happened to you? I can teach you to be Spider-Man. I love this burger. So delicious. Mm. One of the best burgers I've ever had. You have money, right? I'm not very liquid right now. I think you're going to be a bad teacher. How am I supposed to save the whole world? You can't think about saving the world. You have to think about saving one person. One thing I know for sure, don't do it like me. Do it like you. Brooklyn! I see this spark in you. It's amazing. Hands up! Whatever you choose to do with it, you'll be great. I love you, Miles. Yeah, I know, Dad. You gotta say I love you back. Dad, are you serious? I want to hear it. You want to hear me say it? I love you, Dad. You're dropping me off out of school? I love you, Dad. Look at this place. Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. That's a copy. Time to swing, just like I taught you. When did you teach me that? I didn't. It's a little joke for team building. Hey, guys. Okay, who are you? I'm Gwen Stacy. Come on. How many more spider people are there? Save us at Comic-Con. What's Comic-Con? Let's go! All right. Now, the uh, either of you gentlemen, uh, do you know or want to take a guess at the IMDb rating for Into the Spider-Verse from 2018? Oh, that's got to be high. I think I think it's got to be at least a nine. I'm gonna say it's like a nine point seven. Uh, eight point four. Wow. So what? How? So we'll see. Well, I guess we'll have to. I guess you we'll have to tune in next time uh, to find out. <laughs> racists. Yeah. People who hate fun. Spider Man's not black. Well, Justin, thank you again for joining us. You are an absolute de- delight. 
obviously, I think we gave a little teaser at the end of last episode to get people looking at you if they had missed last season's Batman and Robin. I'll say it now. You are producing the best content on TikTok of anyone I've seen. You have mastered this art form that has got to be so challenging, this super short form. Um, for me, personal favorite will be your tribute to Agatha at the end of WandaVision uh, and the Agatha yes. all along. Dance. It's just that so catchy. It's, just, it, it's still... Yeah. Yeah. It's still in there. It won't. It will not leave. It is. It is just the catchiest <laughs> song, and it's just so short. And so it just keeps going on a loop. <laughs> to the point where, where I when I see Catherine Hahn and other things now, in the back of my head, I was watching my idiot, our idiot brother today, and she plays a girlfriend. Yeah. That he when he gets out of jail, and I was like, "Oh, it's Agatha." Who's <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> uh, so, Justin, if people are enchanted with your insight and uh, take on this movie, and they want to see more of you, where can they track you down? Tell them where to find. You. Uh, well, as as you so uh, kindly plugged, uh, I am predominantly on TikTok. Uh, I am at moose underscore zero on there. Uh, I talk a lot about comic books and comic characters. I give recommendations. I do character deep dives. Uh, so if if you like, if you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy this kind of content, <laughs> find me on there. It's 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 very much in the vein. Um, I'm also I've, I've been trying to get more prevalent on Twitter as well, uh, where I'm at moo underscore so so moo like a cow and so like a needle pulling thread. Uh, because I, again, I, I did not think ahead to uh, plan out that I would have a reach on social media, so my handles are all different. Um, but it's you know very much you know the same over there. I, I, I'm very involved in comics Twitter, and uh, you know usually tweeting about what comics I'm reading that I'm enjoying or upcoming comics that I'm very excited about. So uh, follow me on there as well. Uh, yeah. Unconditional endorsement from the hosts of the Super Bad Hero Cast. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Uh, I am uh, on, much like Justin, I tried <laughs> to get the same, but I, I do not. Uh, I'm pretty close. Uh, on Twitter, I am not Ryan Casey. On Instagram, I am not dot Ryan Casey. How about you, Todd? Uh, inter- ins- uh, yeah. Instagram, Twitter, I got lucky at TMP and SYR on both of those. Should we just say it on three, Justin? One, two, three. You. Fuck yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, you lucky <laughs> bastard. Uh, hey, if you want to write to us uh, on Twitter, we are TSPHC Tweets. On Instagram, we are Superpod HeroCast. And if you'd like to email us for any reason, that is SuperpodHeroCast at gmail.com because... Only Cap writes letters. Tony. Music for the podcast comes to us from two places. Our theme song is Take a Chance by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. Our beer music is Feather Duster by Shane Ivers. Find his music at silvermansound.com. So that'll do it for the Superpod HeroCast for this week. For Todd Panic, I'm Casey Ryan. For Justin Mousseau, I'm Todd Panic. And for Casey Ryan, I'm Justin Mousseau. Be heroic. What did I? I literally just saw something the other day, and she was in it and young, and I was like, 
Oh my God, Who? that's her, Margo, uh, Martindale. Margo Martindale. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that, that's yeah. that's we another that's another one where, people, where, so. where, where we, you click on her IMDb and like Paul Sorvino, it's a mile long. She's been in, she has like over two hundred credits. I'm I'm fairly certain. I, what the heck oh, yeah. was I watching? Yeah. I'm trying. It's well while you look. Yeah. I forgot. Tiny Ron. We we didn't say oh. what he was on the start on Star Trek. He was the Negus's bodyguard. Oh, who the Negus is the head of the Frangi, and uh, I don't know if he's going to work with the thing. No, it's not, not going to work. Never mind. <laughs> it's never going to work. It's not going to work. Fuck it. Uh, you know what? I so if you watched and if you haven't, it is so worth the effort. Oh, especially now because they're bringing back a limited series sequel, the brilliant Justified, mm. um, starring Timothy Oliphant. Oh, are they bringing it? They're, they're, they're series, doing yeah. a limited series pre uh, sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Oliphant? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nice. I like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's his greatest role. As great as he was on Deadwood. Yeah. No. I was about to say, how dare you? Seth Bullock would like a well, word. Well, listen, go watch Justified and uh Raylan Givens, yeah, hundred percent. But right. she had a long arc as Meg's um Meg's Mags Bennett, the leader of a Appalachian Family and who is oh. ominous and scary and horrifying. Yeah, she's yeah. sure. Yeah. I can see she's that. wonderful and right. everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I love. And Nev- unfortunately, Neville Sinclair yeah. is a it's a a what a spy, a, spy, a, saboteur, a, saboteur, a fascist, 